All right, you guys, I think we're gonna get this yeah. get this thing started here. We're, re we're ready to record. Um, first, let me just say that it is uh, truly my honor to be moderating this panel uh, with all of you folks. Um, you guys are some of the movers and shakers uh, in the gravel scene right now. Um, and you have all um, created events um, that are now in the air quotes, right? Monuments of gravel um, because you're all passionate people. Uh, and so our listeners are probably wondering who I'm actually talking to right now. So we're going to go from my left down to my right. And you're going to introduce yourself. And you're going to say what event you're with and how old it is. So I'll go first then. <laughs> you are on my left, Burke. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Burke Swindlehurst. I'm with uh, Crusher and the Tusher, and uh, 2020 will be our 10th year. So we're coming up on our 10th. Next. Rebecca Rush. Rebecca's Private Idaho. We're going into year number eight. Amy Charity, SBT Gravel, and we're going into year two. Christy Moan, Dirty Kanza, and 2020 will be our 15th anniversary. Bobby Wintel, the Mid-South, formerly known as Land Run 100. 2020 will be our eighth event as well as Reba. I'm Pete Stetna, and I'm 32. <laughs> <laughs> just just for a little context pete has created a ride so he is he is truly also an event promoter too but he's being very modest and he's also probably the youngest person sitting here um so i want to also go through this this group but we'll we'll start down at pete's end um with what makes your event unique and i know pete we're talking a little hypothetical maybe people don't totally know exactly what's coming from you um, but let's quickly go through what makes your guys's events unique um <clears throat> my event was a a road fondo for the first two years and just like my career it's transitioned to gravel so we're uh, launching out of carson city this september um both sides of the valley, and, and for me, it's just, it's a full exploration. I mean, there's this mountain range called the Pine Nuts that is um, untouched. We couldn't even find trail maps, so there was a lot of breakdowns, a lot of calls for help, but finally we found a, a minty route, and it's, um, I mean, I'm talking uh, packs of wild mustangs and shotgun shells and not much else. It's pretty cool. I have to say, I was jealous. I had FOMO uh, following your IG story when you guys were doing that scouting stuff with Bike Monkey. Mm -hmm. yep. Bobby? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I, first of all, before we get into any, any questions or anything, I, I, I just want to say how, I don't know, I feel really lucky to be at this table, and I feel really honored to be sitting next to the Christy Moan. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll get more into that later, because I've <laughs> oh, known her a long oh, no. time. Um, so... You know, obviously the first thing that people think of whenever they think of our race, of what is now the Mid-South, you know, we've had some pretty epic conditions. We've had some pretty bad mud. We've got this clay, sandpaper, destroy your disc brake pads immediately type stuff. And we, we've, had, we've, had four, we've had four real bad years, like real bad ones. And um, luckily the last two have been killer and dry and fast, and so people have gotten to see what we actually ride 90% of the time and why we want to invite everyone to come because the roads are remote. They feel remote. Um, and we've worked super hard on having private land access um, since 2015. And so we, we had two-mile section of a cattle rancher's land that we took everyone down 
So the county gave him the mile and a half section of land and took the road and they turned the road into just a place for his cattle to graze. And there's a creek there and there used to be a bridge, but the bridge fell in. And so he gave us access. We came down, we took the cattle path into the bridge, and then we built a 21-stair staircase to get all the riders out of the creek bed. So if there's a way to do it, we're going to work hard enough to figure out how to make the things that we want happen to make the experience super cool for everyone. And then I guess I'd be kind of an idiot to not say that, yes, I have hugged every single person that's ever finished the event. And this year we're over 3,000 people, so it's going to be a long day. And sung John Denver and played electric guitars and fired cannons. So yeah, just a few things. Just a few, and 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 yeah, we've we've uh, we've had a we've had a beer with with Iron Monk, the brewery that's a block away. We do a beer can release party. Um, Salsa's coming on heavy. We're doing some really fun stuff on Thursday. Um, yeah, so well, you're also a dual event now too. Not to totally right. go down the mid south path, but you're also a. We have a 50K ultra marathon, and we also have the double. So if you want to do the double, which we've always only we've always had like a very small number, but this year we we kind of opened the floodgates a little. So we have 178 people signed up to run the 50K ultra marathon on Friday, and then line up and ride the 100 mile race on Saturday. And Jake Wells is our current uh, reigning champion of the double, and his finish on the bike this year was one of the most special moments of the entire event history. He came in and he knew exactly how many minutes that he had to beat the other person that had beat him in the run by, which was, I think, 19 minutes. I might be wrong, but I remember that he said, I have 19 minutes. And his eyes were this big. And I yelled at someone to get him a chair, and I said, sit right next to the scoring table and don't go anywhere. And then as soon as that minute clicked over, we, we partied so hard. We <laughs> opened every bottle of champagne, and we just went absolutely crazy. But it's, uh, yeah, our roads are sick. Our town is small. We're two miles from dirt in any direction, and um, we've taken a lot of cues from what Christy Moon brought to Dirty Kanza, and I feel incredibly lucky that she had the, the foresight to include the city in the way that she did, and it's benefited gravel across the board. And so like, we, we, we took a ton of stuff from their playbook, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. And, and then also, yeah, we, we added a little more spice on top of that. I think too in our own way for our own stuff and it's been it's been a blast. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Christy Moan, DK. Wow. That's uh, a big one. God, I, I gotta yeah. follow that. <laughs> no, sorry. You um, guys chose the order you sat in. No, I didn't know. I thought we were going this direction. Yes. Well um, I'm keeping it I'm keeping you on your toes. On yeah. Um I I always think that Dirty Kansas has three things that make it really special. Uh, the first is the Flint Hills. Um, they're unsuspectingly beautiful. A lot of people don't really understand how pretty Kansas actually is and that it's not flat and that there is some terrain out there that um, can really make or break your day. Eight flats, Amy Charity. Um, so uh, the Flint Hills are pretty special. Um, I think the way that we've involved support crews is pretty cool. Um, you know, you you have to bring your own snacks to Dirty Kansas, so um, uh, you know it's pretty. It's pretty cool the the perspective that it gets racers' families involved. So it's not just about the racer; it's about the entire family. And then um, probably my pride and joy, in all honesty, is my hometown in Poria, Kansas. Um, crushes uh, how they support this event with a finish line between eight to twelve thousand people to cheer people in. Um, it's a pretty rad experience for riders. Um, and it's made, I mean, we have, Emporia has, like, cycling heroes, um, 
that when they come back to Emporia, they're treated like royalty. I mean, you're one of them, Yuri. Um, Rebecca Rush is one of them. Thank you. Um, you know, it's it's just, it's really special to see how this little town of <clears throat> 26,000 people has decided to show up and embrace gravel cyclists. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking too, about right? it's hard for yeah, to talk about it just thinking we, about you know. the finish line it's uh, it's heavy duty coming down that finish line I, mean, I have, have many many stories of connecting with locals um who've saved my day mm -hmm. um out there or have made a connection with um for no other reason because i was just riding my bike in the yeah. Flint hills and we have so many special things with it but those to me are kind of the three things that stand out that make dk pretty special yeah for sure how um, about that to follow that, Amy? Yeah, yeah. I know. This, yeah. is getting, <laughs> Sorry. this is getting more and more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think we, um, you, it, it was, it's interesting to come into this a little bit later in the game and to see all of these amazing things that these different race directors have done. And uh, something that SBT did that was, I would say, unique is our, we really wanted to invest in the racer and think through what are some of those challenging things. So, um I thought through, okay, coffee at the start of the race would be incredible. So we have free coffee for everyone that's there. Um, signage, and some of that is due to, if anyone was riding with me today, lack of navigational skills. So having signs that direct you to different places, um, having aid stations out on the course. So um, SBT really wanted an investment in the race or everything from when you start in the race, throughout the race, and then um, finishing up with a great and a river right there. So what can we do to kind of make it more about being out there and enjoying the beauty of it and taking off some of those things that are, are more challenging for, for racers? Um, I think those are probably the most unique. And then um, being in Steamboat Springs, which is known as a it's ski town USA, and we've, um, we also have the trademark bike town USA. So having um, people start to discover that and see Steamboat for more than a winter destination and um, really see it when I think it's absolutely the best in, in the summertime. So I think those are probably our two most unique uh, qualities. Having done it last year, I would say, yeah, the terrain was stunning and your aid <coughs> stations were over the top, um, well-staffed and just, yeah, super, super attentive folks. So good, good job. Yeah, yeah, totally. The queen, talk to me. All right. Um, I mean, I think with... Uh, with most events, the, they reflect the personality of the event director and the founder. Definitely. And um, for me, with Private Idaho, y you were one of the people who gave me the nudge when I said, do you think this would work? And you're like, yeah, do it. <laughs> do It'll it. Be great. Do it. Um, but, and, and, you know, my core values from year number one to now have not changed, but I, I, I think that there's a few things that make Private Idaho special, and it's uh, people, place, and purpose. Um, and with the people, it's... It's about me. It's about the Queen of Pain. It's I want you to come to my hometown. You're going to be welcomed with open arms. Um, I think Meg Fisher said it really well <laughs> when she said she's going to throw you to the wolves and then she's going to give you a big hug at the end. And, and it's really important to me that people feel like they're welcome in my hometown. Uh, but I'm going to push them. I'm going to push them hard. And it is, it is the kind of riding I like. It's less of a road race and probably more of a trending towards um, a mountain bike race. Um, because that's the style of exploration I like. Um, but it is about the people and small-town hospitality of Idaho. And anyone who's come to Idaho, they never come once. Um, they come back again because it's, it's pretty unique. It's got the most uh, public lands um, other than Alaska of, of 
any state in the U.S. Um, so it's it's it is celebrating the public lands and being away from cell phone, away from things. Um, so that's the second part, which is the place of it's a really special. It's a church for me, and so. I love that people get out of cell phone range and they've got to do later grams instead of Instagrams. Um, and, and I really want people, I do believe that if people fall in love with a place or open space and land that they will um, want to protect it and take care of it. And so the place is really important. Um, we celebrate our heritage with some envy potato gun shooting and uh, um, the Wagon Days Parade and it really does kind of celebrate. We ride on the same roads where the wagons came over, the ore wagons, um, a long time ago and that terrain is very, it's untouched from 100 years ago and it's pretty special. You don't see a house, you don't see a telephone pole. Um, so the place and then the purpose, it's always been um, a fundraising event for me. I mean, the bicycle has given me so many gifts and I feel a responsibility to give back to my community um, our local, you know, Idaho High School Cycling League um, and Clearing Bombs in Laos and World Bicycle League, People for Bikes. Um, so really it is it has always been about, um, you know, healing and connecting with the bike. And so kind of those are the three things, people, place, purpose. And also the fact that, you know, you turned your event into a stage race. You were, I guess, arguably, right, the first gravel stage race. Maybe? I think so. Yeah. I mean, really, it's reflected what would I want to do. And people started coming to town and being <laughs> like, we're going to come a couple days earlier. Where can I ride? And so basically just to help my cell phone, you know, texting, like, <laughs> what rides can we do? What rides can we do? I was like, you know what? If people are coming here, I want to show them around. And it's the same kind of hospitality that um, the reason I made the stage race, it's because I would want to do that. And it's kind of I took out of the playbook of mountain bike stage racing and I've been able to travel the world and, and ride all these cool places, mountain bike stage racing. And so that was why the, the Queen's stage race was launched. And every year, you know, we added the tater tot 20 miler. And, you know, it's like Christy said, we're trying to embrace something for everybody, whether you want to do a four day stage race or a 20 mile tater tot or whatever. We're trying to um, bring all the cyclists in as much as we can. We're going to get back to that very topic right there later for sure. Mr. Swindlehurst, T Bird. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I would say the thing that probably makes the Crusher unique is just the amount of uh, community and family that's that's out on the course. Uh, you know, we're it's a small town. I mean, we're we're at under twenty five hundred people, and so anybody that comes to this race at some point they're going to have interaction not with just the the community but with actually my family. You know, I mean, I guarantee everybody that's done my race has probably met. My family members, they, they may not know it, but you've gotten a hand up from my dad or from my father-in-law or my mother-in-law or my nieces and nephews, guaranteed, guaranteed. Uh, and just the amount of community support that turns out for our aid stations and stuff, I, you know, uh, people will talk about how difficult the course is and, you know, the elevation and the heat and the cold, the wind, the hail, the lightning, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the thing that everybody talks about are the volunteers, and so I, I would say that's by far the most um, unique thing about the event and the thing that I'm most proud of. And, and, and I'm not proud of myself for that. I'm proud of that, the community, the community that I grew up in, in a small town that has come together, um, starting from family and friends. So. Yeah, that's a really cool story. I, you know, like Reba wanted to share her home state. Um, your event was spawned, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because that was your training gra grounds when you were a road pro. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that came together quickly for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I was I was in my mid-20s, I was, you know, I was an aspiring road professional. I wanted to be a road pro. 
And uh, you were a road pro. Well, at that point, I wasn't. <laughs> okay. I wanted to be bad desperately. Um, and uh, I, I was living in northern Utah, uh, going to school up at Utah State University in Logan. And climbing has always been my thing. Climbing and altitude; those are the two things. It's like I'm a, I'm a one trick pony. I knew it. Like that's what I do. So I got to figure out how to be as good as I possibly can at that. And uh, in Logan, there there weren't the huge long climbs. Uh, but there were in my hometown down in Beaver. So uh, prior to the 1996 tour of the Gila, I'd, I hatched a plan with one of my buddies. I'm like, we're going to ride to Beaver from here, from Logan, which is, you know, opposite ends of the state. And we just packed credit cards in our, our jersey pockets and just started riding and, and basically connected the dots over, you know, gravel and, you know, back roads and all that kind of stuff. And, and we got to the, the backside of uh, Paiute County, and I'd never ridden up that road before. I just, I knew there was a road there. I looked at the map. I had no idea what was waiting for us. And it's, you know, what everybody now knows is the Col de Crush. Like, the first time I climbed that was on a, you know, a bike with, we basically had panniers on, um, 25C tires, 39, 23, you know, 39 cog set, 23 in the back, and uh, that was my that was my first time up that hill. And after I got to the top, my buddy actually hopped in a truck, and I <laughs> I got to the top, and he's sitting under a tree with two empty beer cans by him. I was pretty pissed. He didn't even save oh, one for me. Both. Yeah, he drank them both. That's. I, I think I think that climb has pissed off plenty of people over the years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, once once we got back, you know, descended down into Beaver, it it was just in my mind from that day forward. I'm like. I want to show other people this. I had no idea it was going to become a bike race. I just knew that that's something that I wanted to share with other people, an experience that resonated with me, and some way, some, somehow I was going to make that happen. And it, it took, you know, 15, 20 years for me to actually kind of formulate how that was going to look. Yeah, but you had that passionate spark in yep. that event. Eventually, like for all of you guys, led to the creation of your events, which is really cool. <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool. Well, um, before we jump into the, the meat of this, I just want to put a general disclaimer out there to the podcast listening audience that by no means do we think we are the only gravel or mixed terrain experts out there. Um, we are just a few of the voices uh, in this ever-changing, expanding um, landscape. Uh, we all just happen to be lucky enough to be gathered here at the Bluebird Gravel Camp um, you know, uh, to, to discuss the state of gravel and what's happening out there right now. So, um, so first of all, just from each one of you, what do you think are some of the main factors that are driving the growth of gravel right now? I mean, we are seeing exponential meteoric growth in the gravel scene. So Pete, one thing that's driving the growth of gravel right now. Um, it's got everyone's complete attention. I mean, it's it's got my completed attention. It's, it's bordering on an obsession at this point, and I think that's it's where it's a lot of people are. It's something new and different and exciting, and it's uh, there's there's and the, the it stayed pure, and the grassroots vibe is very um, um, infectious. And we're going to need to circle back to that because that's also a question that's coming up, the grassroots vibe and how infectious it is, but what could be happening to that as, as gravel evolves. Bobby? Inclusion. Okay. Yep. There's too many, there are too many things to say, but I think, th I think there's this. I'm going to try and say as quickly as possible. 
we're taking the person that could potentially be the spectator at a, at a main NFL event or an MLB event or anywhere else. We're taking the spectator, and we are turning them into the main event. The participant mm-hmm. is our focus, and inclusion is key. And so the 99% at my event, at most of these events that I've been to, is, is, is not potentially who's on the podium. That To me, the podium matters too. I'm competitive too. I just happen to be very slow. So I'm just being competitive with the course. I'm being competitive with myself. Mm-hmm. And we're giving people a chance to get off of the couch, to get out of their house, and to be the main event. And there are, I feel like our finish lines and our, our courses in and within themselves and the aid stations along the way and the parties that happen there and the celebrations, the, the small ones that happen along the way and conquering something that maybe most of these people never thought were possible is building and growing inclusion more to me. And so I, I want humans to know they're capable and I want them to feel like the main event, no matter if it's five hours or this year we had two records broken. Fastest time ever, Payson. Five hours, four minutes, slowest time ever, 16 and a half hours or something. I was delusional. I can't remember the time, but we were just wait. We waited. The finish line was open. So, yeah, that's it. Christy Mon? Um, I, I mean, inclusion oh. is, is my big key, too. I mean, I think that that's something we try really hard at Dirty Kansas to do. Um, <coughs> we were obviously stoked with Colin's t- sub-10 finish. But, um, you know, the, the ones that I remember from uh, 2019 – you know, my favorite finisher was Ann Gentle, who finished the 100-miler, and it was her first long-distance event. She's a, She's been battling cancer. It's hard for me to talk about it because it was so monumental for her. Um, but if I had to step away from inclusion, I would also say I think that, you know, we've become distracted drivers, and gravel is a much safer place to be. Um, Agreed. So I think that that's a big part of it, too, is just that um, I think people are looking for exploration. People are looking for places to find themselves and being on the road is not a safe place. Being on gravel is is much more approachable than a mountain bike trail for a lot of people, and it's it's a lot more accessible in a lot of parts of the country, um, and it ultimately ends up being a safer alternative. So. Yeah, those Amy. are those are two of the biggest inclusion and safety. Um, I think a third that um, I'll add is engagement. I think that each one of these race directors at this table, everyone in this room are incredibly engaged with every person who's out there, with every racer. We we start to know the different stories that people have and we're interested, and it's not just watching pros race. It's really this incredible community that's developed. So I think engagement has been a big piece of gravel and something that's um, really made it unique and has pushed it to a different level um, in terms of everyone feeling welcome. I agree. All of you. Um, I only, I disagree with Pete that um, this is not new. Uh, gravel is not new. You, you're Fair new enough, to yeah. it. But yeah, it's, I mean, yes. the original Tour de France, they were riding on dirt roads. And Very so true. the cool thing is that there is a long history of people riding off-road on bikes. They, the bikes just look a little bit different now. <laughs> Um, there's a lot more people. A lot different. Yeah. <laughs> Shammy Hager. Which is cool. Um, it's cool. And there's people Hashtag who do think it's new. Team. They're coming to it. It's new. But it's really like it's the origins of cycling and, and why I feel like, you know, there's a gravel explosion. Um, I'll go back to the same reason I launched Private Idaho is I just went exploring. And, like, there's all this stuff outside my back door that I'd never seen. And 
I think in this age of hyper connectivity and technology and people are busy and the cities are exploding, um, people want to escape. And you're seeing that in bikepacking. You're seeing it in people trying to flee urban centers and live somewhere else. People just need to get away because we are too plugged in. And gravel and these remote towns and these little roads offer a place for people to find sanctuary and find peace and quiet and safety and find themselves. And we are just way too plugged in. And so I think it's all the things that everybody said, but ultimately I think humans are trying to disconnect because we are so connected. And it's why I won't make private Idaho too big. It's why it will always stay it's why it's called private Idaho, um, because I think we all need that time and space in our day, whether it's five minutes or, or 100 miles or whatever, um, is, is really trying to escape. Good answer. Burke? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think everybody, I, from what I'm hearing and my own personal feeling, inclusion is, is a huge thing. Um, for me, I, the inclusion is like 99% of it. Uh, I think I think certain certain genres of cycling have be- have become fairly alienating to people, and I think this is one of those things that people can finally look at and and see themselves actually doing. Having never experienced riding a bicycle, they can look at this and think like, "Yeah, that that looks fun. I could do that." Um, aside from inclusion, I think when whenever I try and figure out what if I could distill what this whole genre is, and I, and I hate calling it gravel, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. talked about yes. that earlier. Yeah. We could talk about that yeah. later, too. Yeah. Dirt lives. Dirt but lives. <laughs> I, I think the one word that always springs to mind when I think about this is freedom. Yeah. It's all about freedom. It's about freedom of expression. For me, personally, this, is a, this, is an, uh, this event is uh, an outgrowing of my personal expression. It's, it's almost like an, an art for me. It's my canvas. Yes, um, it's also freedom from constraints of you know people telling you what to do and how to do it. It's freedom being able to get on a bike and no longer be confined to the pavement. Be able to say like, I want to do this ride. I want to get to this place, and I'm going to get there one way or another, whether it's paved or it's dirt or I'm you know bending a fence down and hopping over some bob wire. And, <laughs> You know, hauling ass across a field as quickly quickly as I can. <laughs> that's that's what this is all about for me, um, and and I th- I think that's kind of what's driving it more than anything. I, I think, you know, it's I think it's not it's no coincidence that this is kind of almost an American phenomenon because it is that's kind of at the heart of what we want. We don't want constraints. We want to just be able to break free and, and do what we want to and do do how we want to do it. Yeah. <coughs> That's, that's a perfect segue uh, into well, a much larger, uh, thornier question, possibly later, you know, the idea of um, does there need to be some sort of, like, governing body for gravel and stuff like that? I don't want to jump into that one just yet because that's a big one. You know, I want to add one thing real yeah, quick. Yeah, please, go ahead. Yeah, just, jump in. This you is know, Pete. one thing that is really unique from my perspective about gravel, and I think it is part of the success, is this, I guess, what everyone's calling the marathon format. And, you know, coming from the world tour and, you know, the, the glam of the Tour de France, but it's a very secular world. And, and you know, at the Belgian Waffle Ride at Dirty Kanza and Leadville this year, it's when you're lining up with everybody else, whether or not you're racing it 
you know, against others or yourself. You are all out there together, and everyone, you know, you meet your maker on that course in some way or some form, and you know everyone else is going through that at the same time. And as a pro, it's a lot more relatable for me to the, to others, to the age groupers, and from just the general participants the, that, you know, you're focused on back to me. You know, they can also, you know, appreciate that, you know, we're not just um, – the selfish lifestyle focused on going fast, but you know, we're, we're out there for the same pure enjoyment that they are. And that was, um, it was really uh, fresh and exhilarating for me this year. And I think that's kind of caught a lot of people is, yeah, it, it comes back to the, the community of it. For sure. I mean, I had my fanboy <laughs> moments uh, this year at the start of DK as well. <laughs> you know, I got called up after, uh, Lachlan and Taylor Finney. So yeah, I got sandwiched in between those dudes, and it's like, what's up, fellas? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was awesome. Ooh, let's rodeo. Super cool. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, let's, uh, I want to talk about, we've all talked about the, the growth of gravel, and the key is, like, keeping its grassroots base. I'm wondering if we can just talk about how you guys plan on managing that growth and maintaining that grassroots feel. I mean, we're dealing with, um, you know, Lifetime Fitness is, has bought a few events in here. Um, and I think people's big fear might be that gravel becomes too sanitized or corporatized. So um, I know that this is a multi-pronged question here, but um, how do you manage growth but maintain that, that grassroots base? And I'm just throwing this out there. So whoever wants to step up to the mic first, go for it. Yeah, I think we all, when we talked about sort of our points of difference, I think um, a lot of them stem from whether they're our hometowns, our communities, our personalities, what we think is the right way. And for SBT specifically, I think we we want to maintain that sort of those inherent values that we started with. And I, and I hope and assume DK will as well, which is it's very different on their approach with your support and your navigation and all those things I said were yeah. so important to us. That's also what I love about DK. It's a completely different experience. And I think that that sort of adventure side, if we all hold true to, you know, I can list off what SBT's values are. If we all stick with those values, they're different for each of us, but I think there's still things that we appreciate. And every one of us has something very different about our races that I would, I would hate to see go away to come up with something that we all have that's but I'm going to go right back. But managing growth, I mean, you guys have doubled. We Yeah, we've increased by a 1,000 for yeah. this year. And I think that is we're, we're, we're managing how quickly we do grow. So I think that in two years, we may have 3,500. Um, and that's okay as long as we stick to what we think of as the racer experience. It's still it, – the day that somebody says – you know, it was great two years ago, but they just grew too much. I didn't get coffee at the start. I couldn't figure out where to go. The volunteers weren't nice. If if we hear any of those things that are so important to us are going away because of our size, that's when we've grown too quickly. But I don't think that we lose our values based on the number of people. I think we can still maintain that. We can accommodate that many people on the roads, and as long as we still have that support there and we can keep that kind of um, – experience that we created in year one I think we're still on the right path now Burke and Reba correct me if I'm wrong you guys are you up against hard limits with like the forest service as far as numbers as far as growth or uh, you guys may to be two different beasts though 
Well, from for me, initially, yes, the, the Forest Service permit was one of those limitations on on uh, how big the event could grow. But then at a certain point, the, the Forest Service, you know, trusted in, in what we were doing uh, and basically said, you know, we can discuss lifting the lid on this when you want to. But I that was something that I was not interested in because at that point, the growth was more like, what can I manage personally, my bandwidth? And... I never really personally felt comfortable growing beyond the 600. I always, at, at the end of every year, you know, riders would come across the line and they'd be like, never again. And I'm like, I hear you, man. <laughs> right there with you. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, uh, no, I'm serious. Like, this was, I think this was the last one. <laughs> and I was, I was 100% honest. You know, it, 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 it takes so like sick. a month of unplugging and riding for me to finally start to wrap my head around doing it again. And so... For me, the growth, you know, what's been the limit to our growth has always been what I feel c capable of doing because yes. I never want to yep. do more than th – the last thing I ever want to do is let anybody down. You know, somebody somebody once said to me, oh, you know, the Crusher sold out in two hours this year. I bet that felt good. And I said, are you kidding me, man? That scared the shit out of me. <laughs> because I, I see that – I see that as that, – that's expectation. My Like every person that buys – a spot in the crusher. I have a contract with yeah. that person to fill those expectations. This better be a good event, and, buddy. And the quicker <laughs> yeah. it goes, the more expectation I feel and the more responsibility I feel. So that's kind of the perspective I'm coming from. So it's strictly a matter of like being able to deliver up to my own personal expectations of what I'm able to do that I, I feel like I owe this to, to this to these people. And if I can't do that, then I'm not going to lift the lid on it. So yeah. we'll circle back to you later yeah. because you are one of the events that was recently purchased right. by Lifetime. If folks don't know that out there in podcast world. So we talk about that later. Reba, yeah. did you want to, you know, growth with your event? You don't have hard limits with Forest Service and like how has growth, how have you managed your growth, you know, and maintained what makes your yeah, race unique? It's been self-limiting. I mean, permits are always an issue, yeah. but um, I've put the caps on myself um, based on what I can manage, but also what I can deliver to people. And I promise a remote event called Rebecca's Private Idaho. And if it ever, I've, I've added slowly like 200 people a year. And then I go out on course and I ride the course and I, I see how it feels. Um, and when it ever reaches a point where people can't have that private escape experience that, like Amy said, that's one of my core yeah. values. Um, and the moment that that is compromised um you know we're probably nearing our cap you know we had 1200 people last year and and that might be it. um and to me success is not more people um i've chosen i've chosen to grow the event with adding more stages adding training camps you know maybe i add another event but not by packing more people onto a course because we all know what that's like to be at a race that's too big and it loses its appeal, especially when we're all saying that something really special about gravel is escape and getting off the beaten path and not being in, you know, a pack of 50,000 people, um, you know, the Boston Marathon or whatever. Um, yeah. And so so for me, it's been self-regulating um, because I want to deliver what I promised, like Burke said. Awesome answer. Yeah, Christy? I just, I mean, yeah. our growth I mean, DK, been, this is DK speaking. Yeah, DK. The, our growth has definitely been um, more horizontal over the last few years, um, where we've added stuff to our expo. Um, we have distances now from, um, we have 25, 50, 100, 200, the 350. 
and then we have the high school race. Yeah. Um, so we're keeping our, I mean, we're, we're at our number that we can service. And you know, we always get flack because people are always like, why can't you just take more people? And it's always been for us, like we've grown it very slow. When you look back from starting with 34 riders, um, we never have had any huge leaps. But what we've done is added different distances to give people more experiences and to meet them where they're at in their journey and trying to come into the gravel scene. Um, and we continue to look for ways to do camps and, and women's camps and things like that to kind of give people those experiences with it where it doesn't become <coughs> just a cluster of enormous amount of racers out there on course. Our checkpoint towns are our biggest limiting factor. Yeah, I um, wonder, can you, I don't think people understand that sometimes. Maybe you could just give us a quick explanation the, of why DK can't expand really Well, I mean, I guess it, I mean, it could, but that's not our wish because yeah. we want to deliver the experience that, that we are, you know, the contract that we have with, with the racer. Um, but the checkpoint towns that we, that we go through are small. Um, and so those towns have to be able to, we have to be able to have, have a place to be able to stage the support crews and have racers come in, get in, get in, in and out safely. The last time we had growth was, um, we had a little bit of growth in 19. We had a little bit this year for 2020. Um, but we split um, when we switched the course this year. And DK does not run the same course. It, it runs two to three years, and then we switch the course. Um, and so last year, we split the 50-mile checkpoint town. So although Council Grove, which is one of the small communities that we use for this year's course and last year's course, serviced both the 200-milers and the 100-milers, it was the first checkpoint. It was the only checkpoint for the 100-milers, and it was the second checkpoint for the 200-mile. So we were able to add people to the 100 and the 200-mile distance because we didn't have all of those people, whereas before Madison served as the 50-mile spot for both the 100 and the 200 so we had both races coming into that town and you like quadruple <laughs> the town size oh yeah yeah um and the towns lo- i mean they so want to have dirty cans that come through their their communities so it's it's fun from that perspective but yeah it's very much um could we take everybody that puts their name into the lottery yeah, yeah. but it wouldn't be fair to those that those that are that we're committing to putting on the experience for yeah Bobby Wintle, yep, Mid-South. So I think the number one question that I get from local locals yes. that aren't cyclists, um, or even some of them that are, that are a part of the event too, but most of, most of the conversations are people either from city government or from other local business owners, and they just say, why do you put a cap on it? Why, why are you limiting this? Why, why are you going to be like hotter than hell and have 15,000 people? And I'm just like, I mean, I think you just answered your own question. Like, I want this to be special. I want it to have the vibe that, number one, also, yes, like, you guys nailed it. Like, our our crew is tiny. There's four of us full-time at District Bicycles, and then we have event manager Sally Turner, myself, three dedicated volunteers that run the volunteer setup, the course marshalling, and the setup of downtown, and that's it. And they're not paid. And I don't know if I've ever really actually paid myself from this. You know, we've just reinvested. And so I wanted I want to grow it slowly, and we have too. I think I think we've tried to be really respectful. We've gone from like 120, then 278, then 500. 500, 500 was the first time we ever put a cap on it. And we sold out in two weeks, and we were so stoked. And uh, yeah, so I, I think what we have our our formats, our individual formats, are not broken. 
they are not broken. So they, in my opinion, yes, we can always do better, but our formats as a whole, in my opinion, are working. Obviously, that's why we're all so popular. That's why everybody wants to come and be a part of it because it feels like you're part of, it still kind of feels like you're a part of something that not everyone is allowed or, or not allowed, but not everyone is privy to. It still feels like this kind of like, hey, you know about that ride on Saturday? Like, yeah, we're going to go to that spot that nobody knows about. Sick. All right, dope. I'll see you there. And that's, yeah. I want to that to be very inclusive, like I said earlier, but I also want people to feel like this is special. And so, yeah, responsible growth to me has been, has been, I've just made it up. I've made up, <laughs> I've made up the caps every year. I don't know. I've just been like, cool, 2,000 people. I'm scared to death. Holy shit. Just like Burke said, like, <laughs> oh my God. And this year we just, we've kind of opened, we've kind of, in my opinion, with being over 3,000 for the first time, we've just clicked over 3,000 and like five people just a couple days ago total. So that's also is that the run as well. Yes. So 50K, we have almost 150. We're almost sold out for just the 50K. I've moved it from Saturday for the first time. So now all the running happens on Friday. So the double and thank you. So we only have to have eight stations one day. They can be epically stellar. Um, running on Friday, all bikes Saturday. And we, we haven't fully started growing um, horizontally the, the way that Dirty Kansas really has. And I think you guys have done it incredibly well with the high school race and with the 25 and the 50. And so we just have the 50 and we have the 100. But, um, yeah, we've got set almost 700 people in the 50 and then over 2,100 in the 100 so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be packed rollout. It's gonna be a little slow until we get to the gravel. But when we get to the gravel, I think it'll shake out and we'll be fine. But like uh, like like Burke said, I I have a binding contract to deliver an incredible experience. And when people don't have a good one, it, it it's a bummer. It's a bummer to me. And so yeah, I think I think responsible growth is key and and also being confident in our model. We have a great model, so let's keep doing what we're doing. In my opinion. Nice. Thank you, you guys. Um, before I put Pete on the spot and we talk a little bit about world tour riders coming into gravel, um, I want to talk a little bit more about inclusivity and specifically the push that three of you here and, and the gentlemen as well have made to get more women um, into gravel fields. So, um, Reba, what were you at this year? 34% at RPI? Mm -hmm. And maybe we, maybe we can just like address maybe specific... Uh, things that you guys are doing to help do that. That's one of the questions that's come up on IG is how are you guys trying to promote more inclusivity, particularly with women and how we do that. There was one particularly pointed question at the pro men, like how, how are you helping get more <coughs> women involved in the sport? Um, I particularly think it's a, it's a group effort. It takes both of us. Um, it's not my looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would highly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Do I need to sit between you? <laughs> but wow. there's, there's been a number of, in, number of initiatives this year to get more women on bikes. So I'm wondering, no, in no particular, if you guys just wanted to touch on what you have done as, as events or individuals to help with that. I mean... For me, the same as my event, I've just been me. I really haven't done special things. I've just, I am a female, um, and I think, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, and I think there's a lot of power in the fact that I'm a female race director, yeah. and I'm a female pro, and people see that. And I talk about it, it's normal, like it's just a normal conversation that I have. It's not anything special, and we've every year have had Year number one, 20% uh, plus um, female participation, which doesn't sound like a lot, but um, for ultra-endurance cycling events, 
that's high. And then this year we hit, um, you know, above 35%, 36%, I think it was, which is, is not high enough for me. I'd love to hit 50-50. But honestly, like, I haven't done anything special. I haven't, like, let extra women in. Yeah. I've just talked about women the same as I talk about myself, you know, and we, the, you know, make sure there's pictures of everybody. But it has not been a conscious effort. It's just me being me. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is when we will really have succeeded, when it is just normal. Yeah. And you don't, mm. you're just doing what you're doing, and people are showing up because they feel welcome. And I think the fact that I am a female and I've just always been that way um, has attracted people to my event. But it hasn't been a special initiative or anything. Right on. Thanks for sharing that. Amy, do you want yeah. to talk about what you guys did at yeah, SPT? Yeah, no, I think that's... Because um, everybody's done something different here yeah, and yeah. no one's saying yeah. that they have the right yeah. way, but yeah. we're just all no, sharing definitely. their way. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so when we first opened up um, mm. SPT and registration, we were... At our percentage for women was in the low 20s, and um, I thought, this: how can we be in the low 20s? We can do better than that, and what is it going to take? And so we did open up more spots. We opened up 400 additional spots last year and um, filled those with women, and that took us to 30%. And similar to Rebecca, I, I, I want to not even have this conversation at some point. That's my ultimate goal is that we're, we're 50-50 and half show up, and that's that's where we are. But I think um, we did things that seem very um, obvious, but they're they're not always in the bike industry, and that's equal prize purse. Um, and when we did open up those additional spots, we reached out to women who were already registered, and these are anyone from pro to a never, ever been in a bike race and said, why are, why are you coming? Tell us your story. Have you had obstacles? What's inspiring you? What are you looking forward to? And we put those stories out there, and I think that helped women think through, oh, well, yeah, maybe I could be there too. Um, <coughs> we were trying to dig into what is it that, that motivates female, what are the barriers to get them to sign up, and we tried to address those with really making them feel welcome. Yeah. Christy Mullen? Uh, we, we did our big initiative in 2017 with the 200 Women, 200 Miles campaign, and um, really have grown to looking at our start lines across the board to where we had 34% women at our start lines last year, which was really awesome. Um, we do a women's camp that helps women understand how to train smarter and better, understanding that uh, so many times women are doing so many things in the household. How can you take the time that you spend on the bike and make it more effective? Um, the other thing that I'm probably the most proud of, though, is what we're trying to do in empowering women off the bike. Um, you know, Gabby Adams is our race, one of our race directors for Big Sugar. Yep. She designed the course, um, taking the women that um, have been passionate about it and trying to put them in positions of power to continue to grow more and more women in the field so that we don't just see more women on bikes. I want them in the industry finding a place there too. So we've had panels at Dirty Kansas that have been um, – know how we get more women off the bike we put out and we put out a call to all the expo vendors asking them to look inside their staff to bring women to staff their booths at our vendor at our expo um, because we just want to see we we want to raise the awareness and again like I'm at some point I'm hoping that the discussion isn't happening but right now um, I feel somewhat of a responsibility at being in this role to continue to you know I'm not a pro cyclist um, I don't have that background, but but what can I bring that, that can make an impact and make a difference? And so trying to 
you know, find ways to get more women at the start line, but also to get more women in our industry is super important. I mean, Celine Yeager, that's huge. Her sitting over there, um, she, you know, she's she's an inspiration too. So it's like, you know, on the bike and off the bike. I'd also so like to give, yeah, Unpaved, another <laughs> yeah, event in the room, a shout out, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I didn't mean to exclude the two male promoters up here just make this a female specific question so bad on me like if you guys have any initiatives you have tried to do to get more <coughs> women at your events i mean okay sorry, I, I, mean, I think yeah, yeah please i think it was 20, 2012 uh, not i'm sorry not 2012 the second year so the second year of of then land run we realized that we had like single speed open and we had fat bike open and we had all these conversations because crystal my wife single speed Badass. Female, badass rider, trans-Iowa finisher, just after the finish cut off 15 minutes, so she's not an official finisher, but she she's a finisher. She did that shit. She did that shit. Anyway, um, sorry, can we cuss? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Hell yes. Um, sorry, I'm a, I'm a sorry, glass and a half into this really nice red wine. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, so we decided to we decided that year, year two, 2014, that we were going to mirror every single category, all the way up to 60-plus. So men, women, doesn't matter. We have a category for you. It's happening. Um, last year, for the very first time, we worked with the WTF Bike Explorers and Sarah Swallow um, in offering scholarships and lodging to get their crew. And if you don't know what WTF is, it's the Women Trans Femme Bike Explorers group. And um, they're, they're, they're hundreds deep now in their membership. And they're doing amazing things. They're doing bikepacking trips and they're... They're, they're raising money to, to get people doing things. Um, Sarah Swallow is doing a, a Ruta del Jefe. She's doing a ride here in Arizona that everyone should check out. And we're doing that again. And so we comped this year everyone that signed up. We didn't have a conversation before Reg went live, but everyone that signed up, we, we comped. We refunded them literally two days ago. And we've allowed a whole bunch more WTF riders in just in the last week. Every year for, I don't know, maybe the last three or four years, we've been letting in every woman on the wait list. Our wait list has been like 700 people deep the last couple of years. And if you're a woman and you get on there, we, we pull you over. And um, I know that there's some controversy with that. I know that there's loopholes with that. And there's a bunch of other things that we could talk about. But honestly, like if, if a woman has her name on the wait list and they want to be at our event, we want them there. So we've been organically 20% and it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We want to be better. And then I'll say this lastly, I knew a year and a half ago that I needed to hire someone to help me with the event because I was trying to juggle that and working on Walmart bikes full time because that's my actual job and actually building really cool custom bikes too. We do a lot of cool <laughs> shit at district bicycles. You should check it out. And, uh, <laughs> but nice we needed to plug. We needed to hire somebody. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry. Was that too obvious? <laughs> we needed to hire someone. And so, um, Sally Turner kept pressing me. She said, I feel like I'm fit for this position. And I have a lot to offer. I've ridden in, in the event many times, and I've been around it. I've volunteered, and I know you need help, and I know that you're refusing help because you think you can do it on your own, and you're wrong. And we knew that we could put out, we could put out a resume catcher and get whoever we wanted, potentially, that was interested to come and work at the event because it's, it's popular, it's cool, it's fun, it's gravel, <coughs> it's, it's dirt roads, it's, it's rowdiness. And... Um, so we took her up on it, and I get offered her a real position, and now she has a full-time job with benefits, and she works for me full-time. And for Crystal as well, obviously my wife, Crystal, is 100% my business partner and 50% of everything that happens at the shop and at the race. And I'll tell you what, like she, she 
comes up with amazing design and I'm always trying to push the envelope of what we can do creatively. And she's either like, yes, let's full throttle. That's a good idea. Or like, you are the biggest idiot I've ever heard in my entire life and we shouldn't do that. And here's why. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, you're right. And so having these voices of different perspective, whether it's male or female, in our, in our case, it is that we have on our quote-unquote committee, we call it the Imperial Court of the Mid-South. Yeah. And um, it, we're, we're mirrored. We're mirrored. Um, no, that's actually wrong. There's four. There's four. Wait a second. There's three. So Crystal, Sally, Myla, Trevor, Brett, and myself. So yeah, we're mirrored. It's, it's half and half. And just like this panel, it's half and half. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see the dudes fret over a decision that we need to make. And then the women just say, can you please just stop talking about it? We already have it figured out. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you haven't figured out that's usually the case. I mean, so. always the case. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, So those are the things we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I know Bobby Wintle is definitely what people would consider the face of Land Run. Um, but it's definitely worth... Um, getting to know Crystal Wintle, if she'll let you. 100%. Um, she's so freaking amazing. And she's a true visionary and leader in, in this field. She just speaks mostly through Bobby. I, I mean, this, she, she yeah. does not come forward. And, you know, we've no. had several conversations. But Crystal she, is amazing. And, and for, for certain, Mid-South wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't. So I'm glad we can give her a, a nod, a tip of the gravel hat to the behind-the-scenes mover and shaker that Crystal Wintle is. Burke, did you want to chime in on this? I hadn't gotten back to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I guess to that point, I, I have to say, that like, yeah, my wife Tiffany, she's easily 50% of the crusher, if not more. I mean, there's no way I'd be sitting at this table right here right now without her. And, you know, pretty Anytime I go somewhere that's associated with this event and she's not with me, it feels like something's wrong and, it, you know, it's just not right in the world yeah. <laughs> for me. But, uh, yeah, um, as far as, like, the women's participation in Crusher, you know, from, from the – we've always offered prize money, and that's not something I necessarily uh, tout on the webpage. You know, that's not what I want the draw to be is prize money. Um, but I've always offered it, and it's always been from day one. We've always paid male and females exactly the same amount of money. It's the same course. It's the same amount of suffering. I mean, there was no question in my mind that was going to happen. It's just, yeah, it's, that's, that's a total no-brainer. Um, we've also had other initiatives that aren't necessarily you know, things that I actually put out there and say, hey, we're doing this. But there's been some people that have reached out to me in the past um, specifically in Salt Lake City, uh, the Peak Fasteners, Bingham Cyclery team, every year, one year they reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like to, you know, this is after registration is full, we'd like to be able to purchase, you know, 10 entries into the event specifically for women. And I said, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I let them run with it. I say, promote it how, however you want to. Um, they put it on their Facebook page, and basically every year, you know, they, they solicit people, like, write us an essay and tell us why you deserve one of these entries. And it's just, it's so fun to watch to see yeah. how that all goes. So, you know, it's, for for me, it's like, I I don't have that perspective. I'm, I'm a male. I live in this body. I lean on other people to kind of keep me clued in. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping for other people to be able to do for me. And I just kind of, honestly, I follow their lead. I mean, like, I watch what Rebecca does closely. Yeah. Because I know, like, these guys have got it figured out. And yeah. They're the ones with the voice. And so... Being able to have somebody like Rebecca turn up to my event for me was huge. Um, honestly, like 
seeing her on my start line was one of the proudest moments of my oh. my entire. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's honestly like, in fact, that year, having her and Ned over at my race, I was like, somebody just shoot me right now. I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm ready to tap out. So. Oh, well, I'll really say cool. something. Yeah, I, that start do. line that you did that seemed subtle, but it was really, really big, and I've never seen it at any other race. And I took that playbook from you as well. Is the pro women were called up last and on the front line, and so all the photos are all the pro women, and that's very so, unusual. Yeah. I've never seen that before. You know, there's always a call up, but usually the guys are in the front, the guys are in the pictures, and it didn't matter to me, but. Um, there's a very powerful media message when the start line photo is all the women at the front. And so I was just like, whoa, Burke. <laughs> and I have taken that, and, you know, you know, we do that now too. But that may seem like a little thing, but then every picture that yeah, any media is going to put up yep. is going to be all the women in the front. And that was super awesome. Yeah. You all touched on base. In more words than one, significant others helping you. And I just wanted to give a shout out to SV Greg, Reba's partner, because you talk about your wife being um, an integral part of your event. But, you know, I want to give Greg a shout out who spends countless hours on the moto marking and doing all of that. So um, it does take a village and having a supportive partner when putting on these events is, is really important and, and helpful. Um, I'm going to go back to you, Pete. Um, something that's recent you know sort of uh change in gravel right is uh the world tour riders coming in um you know in some of the social media comments i've seen i feel like uh some people are implying right that uh is gravel becoming sort of elitist right or are people um are there like the regular joes missing out on entries because of lottery system i mean this is a really big question this we can we can go in all different directions with this um but, you know, what was the attraction for you as a world tour rider? And then I think I'm going to segue to the promoters here is how do you balance, you know, th these, you know, high profile uh, riders that will maybe get more media eyes and attention on your event with the needs of the everyday rider um, and balance the, the growth and the entry and the lottery selling out and all the problem, right, air quotes, problems that we're having with the growth of gravel right now. So um, that was a mouthful. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> let's just start um, with your transition because you're not the only one. You know, Ian just, Boswell yeah. just made an announcement. Lauren is coming into gravel too. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about that for you. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not in it for the money. It's, I mean. That's another thing we can talk about. You know, some of the events do. You know, some of the events have the prize purse, but it's not. There's two prize purses here. <laughs> it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. You know, something's going to go wrong out there. But no, I mean, it's, you know, we all became pro, but, you know, my, I'm speaking for my world tour buddies. And, you know, we all loved bike riding in the first place. And, and coming back to these events, this was like comfort food. You know, this is what we grew up racing, like out of the camping chair, getting out of the minivan, ass crack of dawn, like, I mean, with all your buddies. And so it was so much fun and it was refreshing. And, um, and you know, it's, I mean, yeah, it's still, I mean, it's a race and we're all competitive, whether you are fighting yourself to get to it, you know, I mean, most of these people who sign up for dirty cans are like, they're training all year, just as hard as me just to finish the freaking thing, yeah, because this complete. is their yes. Mount Everest. Right. And I mean, so yeah, you are competitive. We are all, I mean, most people in this room are competitive in some aspect and 
you know, it's, it's a race. And I mean, yeah, I, I want to race the race and I want to, I want to do it justice and it, it deserves, I mean, these races are cool and fun enough that I, you know, I don't want to show up and just, you know, fluff around and I want to give it respect by giving it my best effort too. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, that's something I care about. And, you know, it's, and I also want to say that these race, these were races before myself and the EF boys showed up. I mean, yeah, we were, the EF boys <coughs> were trying just to, to feel it out and they showed up in baggies at dirty Kansas this year. And I, I, you know, I thought we were going to stop at the aid station and I had a sandwich ready, like with roast beef and everything. And, and all of a sudden, like my mechanic was like my pit crew and he was like, no, they're gone. Like, and, you know, it was like, oh, this is like a triathlon pit zone. Like I got to hurry. So, I mean, then, then the, the switch flipped and it was like, okay, this is a race. Like it's on, you know? And, and, but no, I mean, these are, these are races, but this is where I'm having the most fun in the sport. I mean, this is a move of fun for me. And yeah. And most of these guys, and and I hope you know we can have fun at the finish line together, whether or not you're in front or behind me. I guarantee you. I mean, there's going to be some races where I'm walking in this year, and that's yeah. You better give me a beer at the finish of that one too, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So promoters, I'm just throwing this at you guys now. You know, oh, I mean, let me. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just I that, that jog my memory. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, and in terms of you know the high profile in the media eyes or whatever. I'm just, you know, it's, you know, what can I do for, for these events and, and this discipline of the sport to, to help all these guys too. Like that's the, the one thing I can offer is a little bit of media attention. So, you know, that's what I am trying to trade in terms of, you know, showing up to these events and, you know, and sometimes it's, it's a bonus and, that's that's up for the race promoter to decide, you know, and how they want to run their event. But you know, it's I'm, I'm there just like the other thirty five hundred people at Dirty Cans that have a damn good time. Yeah, yeah. So race promoters with events selling out like that, uh, with you know the general public sometimes grumbling about you know lottery systems. We've all heard it right and getting in. How do you guys you know balance you know? Ask from world tour riders who maybe want entries into your events um, with, you know, the ever increasing numbers of people, regular people wanting to get into your events. I mean, it's a problem you're all feeling. I know you've all felt it. Um, I'm wondering how you, you deal with it and uh, maybe, you know, future uh, things that, that help us uh, navigate this current, you know, growth spurt in gravel. Bobby, you're so Peter, up. So Peter messaged me on uh, Mid-South Instagram after he made his announcement, because his, his announcement was after our registration, which was a little too early this year. I'm going to make it not so early. And um, he was like, hey, there's the thing that stuck out to me the most. He was like, hey, man, this is what I'm doing. And I was very aware of what was happening. And he was like, but I didn't see a pro category, so I'm j I just got on the wait list for, like, my age group. And I was just, like, laughing out loud. I was just like, yeah, man, there's no pro category, and there will not be a pro category at my event. And I will say that publicly because they're coming – to do what we already created. Like I said earlier, like it's not broken. And so what we're doing is creating an incredible life enriching, changing moment in time where we all get to feel as young as we've ever felt before and feel as powerful as we've maybe ever felt, or maybe feel as low as we've ever felt and crushed <laughs> yeah. as we've ever felt and ridiculous fun all mixed within. So I want the pros there. Any human being that w would put on an event, anybody, 
If they told you that they didn't want pros there, they're lying to you. Of course we do. When you said that you saw Burke, Rebecca, and Ned on your... If I had Rebecca and Ned, same thing. I'm done. Sick. I made it. <laughs> Dope. And I haven't been to Rebecca's event, and she hasn't been to my event yet, and Ooh. we both need to change that. Oh, we both need that. to change that. <laughs> Crystal, Crystal has been to RPI yeah. because, again, she's the badass of yeah. the family. But, yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. Ted King calls me, and he's like, I just got back from this fat bike expedition in Canada, and I really want to come do Land Run. This was last year, and I want to bring a video guy, and I want him in the front. And I was like, I don't think I want that. I think I want you guys to, like, feel like you're alone. And he's like, well... I promise you'll, I promise you'll like what we come up with. And so we talked about it multiple times, and I did not say yes right away. I was like, I want you guys to feel like you're in the Oklahoma, quote unquote, wilderness. You know, I want you out there. And then we finally let that happen, and Ansel Dickey created one of the most engaging videos that I've ever had for my event, and it got me more exposure, like Pete was saying, than I've ever been able to do, maybe. On my own, some of our stuff has gotten a lot of reach, but that one, that one, that one's on YouTube, and I think it's over like sixty-five thousand views, and that's that's a lot. That's a lot. So I mean, it's cool. It brings it, and and people want to line up next to the the people that they that they've seen on TV and in YouTube and wherever. So like, we've we've got there's a way to mix this. There's there's yeah. a, there's a way that it coexists, and I think we're doing it right now. And I, and, and I like the way I'm doing it, so yeah. I'm going to continue. At the same time, you can't please everybody. There's always going to no. be some folks who aren't happy with your lottery system or however you're doing your reg thing. Christy, do you want to touch well, on it? Uh, with, am with, I the only, we're the only one that has a lottery, right? I think so, so far. Yeah, so well, far. We're talking about yeah. So far, DK, you're the only one with the lottery, and so I'm wondering. We had to do that. Um, I don't think people quite understood um, the impact of, of an open registration that, that we had the year that it It's absolutely ridiculous. Was, uh, <laughs> shit show. Um, Do you want to say that again? I was, I was in, I was at Rebecca's house in the guest bedroom when the shit show happened. Yeah. Um, and it was like a sellout in like three seconds and people were pissed because they didn't get in and I'm going to, I've been doing dirty Kansas for this many years and you got to make this right. And you know, I'm like, wh- how do you make it? How do you make it more fair? Yeah. Um, and so I think what we've done is that's what we've done is try to come up with the, the thing that we think is the most fair. It's, it's not 100%. Yep. Can you explain that? Because I got raked over the coals, not that it matters, on social media, you know, just promoting DK <sighs> entry, uh, you know, no, it's being not a, a true it's not a true lottery. So maybe it's you not, could, you, it's, not, it's not, it's not a true lottery, no, but maybe you can not. explain it to folks There's, just so they understand it. There is I don't preference think it given to people going for their grail. Going for their five-time finish. Five-time, yep. Um, there's preference given to our local 66801 area code. Um, we want our locals to love our race. We want them to come and do it. The very first year Dirty Kansas that happened, there were two Emporians on the start line. Yeah. Last year it was like 500. Yes. I want my town to be not – I don't want them to hate the event. I want them to love the event. I want them, at, I want them to have their family and their friends at the finish line because that's what makes the experience better for everybody. That gets back to one of the C's of gravel, Delaney, right? Community. Yeah. <coughs> um, yep. So, so six six eight zero one area codes given preference, and we give preference to women. Those are the three categories. Um, beyond that, and we've had pros. I have one in my inbox right now. He sent me his Wikipedia page and his resume. <laughs> Not kidding. Wikipedia page, <laughs> resume, and said, 
I'm traveling during your registrate your lottery registration, so I can't register. I'm like, how are you able to send me this message? Because <laughs> it's open right now. It's open yeah. right now, and you're obviously yeah. able to get on and figure out how to communicate to somebody. But I have my own Wikipedia page. He did. Yeah. Had his own Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> so is he in? Oh, not in. I said the lottery's the open. Here's, how, here's the link yeah. to register. Yeah. If if you if you're having trouble, let me know, and we can help you through your registration. I'll put you in touch with Treva, our, our athlete service manager, who does an incredible job. But, you know, um, the the other guaranteed entries into Dirty Kansas, our sponsors have so many entries that they get with their sponsorship. If you are an expo vendor, you have, and I don't know the numbers, but I think you have one or two spots um, through, through the expo with your entries because, again, we want – we want the people coming to do the expo to be stoked on the event as well. So we want them to, if they want to ride it, they can ride the 50. Um, so there's entries there. Um, and then we have this year, which I'm super stoked about, um, we have our charity spots, and it's something that I wanted to do for years. So we are working with the Kansas High School Cycling League. We are working with World Bicycle Relief and then the Lifetime Foundation. So we've got entries that way too. So there are ways you can get into Dirty Kansas that, that bypass the lottery. But other than that, you have to enter the lottery. I just think sometimes there's the misconception out there, right? That pro tour riders just get like the the free ride in, and and people maybe don't understand it's it's through a sponsor and something like that. By so no means. Go ahead. Too, this is Pete Stetna. I mean, yeah i I will be at Kansas this year because my sponsors are in the expo booth, and you know that's that's the deal we worked out. But I, uh, you know, the other lottery system is the Leadville 100. True. And I um, I got in, but I was in the very back of the pack. And then I, I asked him, I was like, look, like, I finished the Tour de France. Like, I've, I've raced mountain bikes. The what? And I have a Wikipedia page. It's not mine. It's not mine. But, but they, they were, they just said, now nah, you got to go to qualify and prove it. And I respect the hell out of them for it. And, and I, I think that's really refreshing that, you know, like, yeah, a lot, if, if a pro thinks their shit stinks or doesn't stink, then it's <laughs> it's not. No, like I, just just try rooming with Dave Zabriskie. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it's just you know I I went and I raced the I I didn't go to Burke's event. I went to the Tahoe Trail 100, and I raced for time, and I walked my bike for three miles, and I still gave it everything to the line, and I made the front corral by like three minutes. And that's how I was in the front star spot. Like, that was... You earned it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you I, earned I, it. Just I like do, everyone else. I mean, I, I Christy say, like, we do want... We want pros at our event. But it's not going to be at the sacrifice of the journey person athlete. Um, and so that, I mean, that to me is just like... Um, I don't know how much more clear we can say it um, because we still get slammed on it. But that's the truth, and that's how we, that's how we do this. And that's... That's it. That's how it works. No secrets. Yeah, I just wanted to. This jump is in. Amy Charity. Um, for SBT, we <coughs> this year we wanted to um, favor the people who sort of gave us a chance last year. They signed up. They didn't know what was involved in the race, so I think that was important to us to give um, pre-registration and allow those people in. Um, but the kind of the the latest of where we've really had to make a decision on people was for the lead boat challenge where we're collaborating with um, Lifetime, Leadville, and uh, there, w there was certainly an impression out there that we were only taking pros 
for it. And the reality was we we accepted a handful of pros or invited them to help us spread the word. And they're, that's just how it works. They are they're influencers in gravel. They have um, strong followings, and that helped us get the word out there. But um, it was literally Christy and I reading stories, and we didn't we didn't we had we were not taking pros. In fact, we were probably intentionally not accepting those. We wanted really interesting stories. And so um, that's that's sort of what it came down to. So um, on on that, we wanted people who equal numbers of men and women and who has something really interesting to share and who's going to have this incredible journey getting to the start line. And who there. could inspire. Yeah. Who could inspire other can, people. Can I just say real quick that I can't imagine being year two into my event and being able to partner with Leadville 100 to do something like what you're doing, and that I think Leadboat is a spectacular growth in addition to this adventure gravel mountain bike riding that we're doing, <coughs> and like just congratulations, and I can't imagine having that responsibility that early in my event. Yeah. It's <laughs> wild, and you're doing it, and I told yeah. Mark the same thing. I Mark, you're, I can never say Mark's last Sackowitz. name. Whatever, it's great last name, Mark. I really like your last name. Um, Have some more wine, Bobby. It's, wi- it's wild good. <laughs> Christy Moon, pouring me a glass of wine. You heard it here first. Thank you. That's too much. That's very too much. That's all. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. It's been, yeah, I think it's well, an incredible collaboration. Cool. We're really grateful to work with them, but I think it's, it's fun to have two events in the, the Rocky Mountains that are a day apart, and it was really taking what was initially uh-oh, maybe this is a problem, to how do we create something really cool. And I think that speaks to what happens in gravel. Yeah, I think maybe not a lot of people are aware that that collaboration was actually born out of like, oh my God, we just scheduled over each other. Our first thought was like, who's moving their date? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, yeah, but they like, well, no. clearly we're not. And our yeah. chamber and city, we have a lot of reasons we can't move ours either. Yeah. So we're like, no, we can't have a standoff. Yeah. Like, is there a solution, solution here? And um, so the solution sick. turned out to be this, yeah, incredible event that it turns out hundreds of people are interested in yeah. doing. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Queenie, sort of this, this, this question, world tour riders balancing those ass with the general public, like, you don't have a lottery system. You just have, you know, uh, yeah, entry uh, cap. We're not full yet, so anybody wants to sign up. Stage race still uh, open, or is that closed? Stage race is full, okay. um, and, and that's a permit issue because yep. we can. It's the first day single track, and we can only fit a couple hundred people. Uh, but no, the one day is still open, and maybe it's partially because Idaho is hard to get to. But um, I have not had to deal with. You know, it's basically it's open, yeah. and I have not had to deal with the struggles yet yeah. of having to turn people away. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Burke, any, Burke, any pains to? with this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not yet. So, you know, every year we've kind of, our, our registration's gone a little quicker and a little quicker. Um, I've, we haven't had to entertain the thought of a lottery yet, and personally that kind of scares me, that to have an event, you know, that that many people want in like that. Again, it goes back to the expectations that come with something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always liked having, you know, just opening registration. And if it's important to you, you're going to find a time. If, it, if you think it's going to sell out, we tell you what time it opens. You can get in front of your computer, and it's the race before the race. Um, last year it was two hours, and, you know, it may or may not go quicker. But until, until we get to that pinch point where it's, where it's you know, 
we have to entertain the thought of a lottery, then I'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But for now, you know, this year we're going to run it the same way we always have, first come, first serve, because I, that just feels fair to me. If it's important, you're going to make it a priority. If you're traveling overseas and you can't blah, 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 and you have a Wikipedia page, get one of your friends to register for you. Make yeah. sure they put the right birthday in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's let's address the the elephant, you know, or one of the elephants in the room. I think with gravel growth and um, those two, in my opinion, would be, um, you know, sort of not lifetime per fitness per se, but the fact that some events are being purchased by lifetime, and some people see that as the corporatization or the selling the soul or the sanitization of gravel. Um, will gravel turn into sort of like an Ironman series kind of thing where people have to do qualifiers to get into certain events? Uh, is there sanctioning needed? Uh, you know, USAC, as we all know, held a conference uh, last week, I think, uh, out in Bentonville with a number of other gravel movers and shakers um, to talk about um, USAC's relevance uh, or not. So... Um, I don't know totally if I, I where I'm going with this, but um, you know, I, I guess where do you where do you guys see the future path of, 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 of gravel being as as we're navigating these times where events are being purchased by by lifetime, the event calendar is packed to the gills. Packed. It's packed. Many people aren't able in, to get into events. There's this frustration. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's a big topic. So I Bobby, wish you're I, raring to go. I, Let's I mean, go. I don't want to always be the first one to talk. Damn it! Talk. I know, but I have to do this. <laughs> but shut up, Chris. You should see him moving in his seat right now. He just he, yeah, he's gonna um, let it out. So <laughs> I wanted I wanted every one of these people that are in this room to be at that meeting with USAC, that Tim Johnson. Because you were at that Rob, meeting. I was at that meeting, and um, I went with so many reservations. I'm never nervous about meetings, ever. It's either like, we have this figured out, or we're going to, and we're going to crush it every time. Like, that's what's happening, and that's the MO, and we're going to do it. And I was like, what do they want? And um, we finally brought that up in the meeting. We're like, what does USAC want? And it just kept... And it just kept getting pushed to the, to the table saying, we just want to have a conversation. And so what ended up happening in that meeting for two days, we ended up having to call the meeting short at 7 p.m. to go to dinner because we were all so excited to share best practices. So what ended up happening, Tim Johnson, Rob DeMarini, I believe, I'm having trouble with his last name too, but he's the new CEO, the new president of USAC. And just to inform a few people, Rob is the former CEO of New Balance, has never been a license-carrying person, and is not a racer. He put up a slide that he put in front of everyone at USAC that said, USA Cycling, serving cyclists since 2020. And I laughed out loud immediately, because obviously I talk first every time. And, I, and he was just like, yeah, how do you think that went over in the building? And of course, everyone said, oh, not well. But he's like, we're fundamentally... It's, it's, it's not working. They have 55,000 paying USAC membership licenses right now. That is irrelevant, in my opinion. These people in this room have touched that many people, and I don't know how many years we've touched more, probably. And we have the attention. Way more. You've touched them all. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Yes, I have. <laughs> what I think was happening in that meeting is that they were trying to figure out what it is that we've all been doing separately to become so successful, quote-unquote, right? It's hard for me to say that I'm successful. I don't know what that actually You're looks successful. like. You're successful. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that <laughs> word means. 
I don't think I'm successful because I don't think I'm done. I'm not done yet, and I don't want to be done. I want to continue. I want to, I want to pass this on to other people, to another generation, and I want it to continue to move. And to me, if we're able to do that, then I think that is success. It's, it doesn't stop with us. It, it, it continues. And we don't know what this is going to look like in 10 years, but if we make some decisions, some hard decisions, then maybe it will be successful for the, those that come behind, like behind us. So what ended up happening is just having a conversation. And what I hope, what I hope come out, came out of that meeting are best practices from the, some of the best human beings in the cycling industry, in my opinion, for them to make cyclocross better and to make mountain bike better. Because in my opinion, USAC doesn't have their own realm figured out. So why on earth would we invite them into our realm that we are figure it, we figured it out? And I'll shut up. I'll shut up right now. No, I was giving you the oh, amen. Okay, okay, I was you. giving you the amen. Like, okay, that's, there's... I, you're, yeah, I, I agree. So there's one, there's one, there's one other thing. Like I think <coughs> Ted King ended that meeting, and I'm going to give some insights that I don't know if it's okay or not, but I really don't care. So Ted King ended the meeting on Tuesday. Thanks for the wine, Christy. And he said, "When I left Pro Tour Cycling, it was my goal to never hold a license again." And I don't, and, he, and I love Ted so much, but to see him in that moment and to bring it down. He was very calm and he was very aware of what he was saying and intentional. That's the best word for it. And he said, I don't want to see a gravel calendar that has points attached to it. I don't want to see a national championship. I do not want to see categories, sanctioning, and licenses put into gravel. That is not what gravel is. It's not why it has become what it's become, and I don't see a place for it. And literally that was the last thing that was said, and it came from Ted King. And then we all went to dinner. And I stayed out really late, and I got super hammered with Amanda that runs Grinduro and Old Growth Classic, and we had the best time. So that was that meeting. That was the, that's what we did. We just talked about who we are and what we do, and it was very cool. They wanted to have a conversation. They didn't want to offer us anything. Well, I'm glad to hear that because yeah. I'm not sure what they could bring to the table right. that would make any of your events any better. Um. Does anybody else have any thoughts on? Yeah, H please. History Rebecca repeats Rush. itself mm -hmm. in war, in corporations, in racing, and you look at the history um, that bike racing in the U.S. has experienced. There's, there is already the the lesson is already before us of the example of mountain bike racing, of cyclocross racing, of road racing, and you look at people like Pete. Why did he leave road racing? And so, you know, shame on us if we can't look at history, if we repeat our same mistakes. Um, and what is special about this is because it isn't that. And so I, I applaud USA Cycling for bringing people to the table. Most definitely. <clears throat> Me too. But the model is not the model of the past. And I don't know what the model is. I just know that what has been the past hasn't worked. It's why a lot of us left mountain bike racing. It's why a lot of us left road racing. And my big fear for gravel is that it gets spoiled. And, you know, you hear, yeah. oh, roadies are going to spoil gravel. It's not the individuals of roadies that are going to spoil gravel because there's a lot of really amazing individuals sitting here who have not spoiled it. Um, it's... They are leaving 
a platform of something that wasn't appealing to them anymore to come to a platform that is appealing was your first question. What's yeah, cool about gravel? Exactly. Um, and that is my fear is that the individuals will not ruin gravel. Um, it's, it's if they bring what they didn't like from their, you know, the bad neighborhood on the other side of the tracks, you know, don't bring that over here because it's not what it's about. And I, I applaud USA Cycling. I pro- applaud the roadies that are coming in. But um, you're a guest, you know, oh, yeah. in something. You're a guest in someone's home. And you don't come into someone's home and try to make it your own. You... I really appreciate what Ted King did when he went to Dirty Kansas the first year. You know, I'd won it multiple times, and he called me up, and he's like, how do I do this? I'm like, you wear a hydration pack, you bring your snacks, you do this, you do that, you do bring that. Bring your own yeah. snacks. Yeah, and he listened, and he respected the venue that he was coming into, and he's like, a hydration pack, really? And I'm like, yes. And he did it. And, um, you know, now he's become one of the voices of Gravel because he didn't come in and try to make it you know the place that he left. He came in and accepted it for what it was. What it was, and so I think we need to look at history and the mistakes that have been made. Um, we can look at ultra running. We can look at trail running. We can look at many different sports and see where this is going to go. Um, I don't believe sanctioning is the answer. Um, there's plenty of opportunities for people who want that kind of experience. And yeah. Yeah. Burke, anything to chime in here, add on this? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. Um, For me, like, again, like, the Crusher is basically my canvas, right? That's what I, it's like a form of expression for me. And a lot of that expression was angst. It was that I love riding my bike, but I become completely disenchanted and disenfranchised with what I've been doing for the last 20 years on a bicycle. And I sat down and like thought, well, I just want to do something that's completely out of the box. Um, like the last thing I ever want to see for this genre, again, like I don't want to say gravel because it it just it's its own thing. Yeah, I don't want to box it in. Whatever we want to call it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Is homogenization? I mean, that to me, that's like the scariest thing on earth is to think of this just like becoming another cookie cutter thing with rules and regulations and. You know, I think the coolest thing about, about this genre is that people like me can come in with basically and just say, I've got a blank canvas, and I'm going to go to the paint store, and I'm going to buy all these cool colors that interest me, and I'm just going to start flinging away and see what happens. And nobody's going to come over and look over my shoulder and say, what are you doing there? Are you, you sure you don't want to put this over there? I'd be like, yeah, I'm sure. I want to do this and see <coughs> what happens, you know? So... Yeah, I, I think I think the ne- I mean the next ten years are you know I almost see like this this previous ten years of this or, or fifteen in the case of Dirty Kansas or you know hundred years in the case of people that have been riding bicycles hundred plus years is what what is in front of us nobody knows and nobody can curate that we're all we're all going to be collectively painting on the same canvas. And it's going to be interesting to see what the picture looks like at the end of the day. And it's, it's going to change and evolve. But, you know, as much as I want to curate my own event, I know that that's not going to have an effect on what everybody else is going to do here. We might collaborate a little bit. But ultimately, I want to know that these people are going to go where their heart is, too. Mm-hmm. And that I'm going to go where my heart is. And 
neither there's not a right or wrong here. It's just it's expression and again freedom. That's a really awesome metaphor to use the the painting metaphor there. I think I'm going to start calling you Van Gravel. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't lose an ear, bro. Um, You talked about homogenization, and so that's going to, I'm going to segue into our next question, which uh, is lifetime fitness, right? Coming in and purchasing events. And I think that would segue or tie right in with the homogenization of gravel. So events here who who are dealing with with lifetime, Burke, Christy. Yep. how, how, how do you guys combat that perception if it is, you know, actually uh, something people need to be fearful of? Because I know, like, in my heart of hearts that uh, these events will retain their unique qualities because of who's still involved. But I think from the general public's perspective, they're like, oh, they've been bought out by the corporate, you know, giant or whatever, and the, it's going to change. So I don't... Go for it, Burke. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually kind of chomping a bit on Yes, that I like it. Get it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Well, so a year ago, we were doing gravel camp in California, and the the purchase of Dirty Kanza by Lifetime, that was like, that was all anybody was talking about <coughs> gravel camp. Yep. And it was like on my mind, and, and we were all just kind of thinking like, wow, this is a game changer. What, what does this mean? Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, like, this was the toughest decision I've ever made in my life to do this, you know? There were, I vetted them, and they vetted me hard. Both It went both ways. Um, I think it's it's been a really interesting process for me because, I, I again, a, a year ago, if somebody came up and told me, like, where I'd be sitting right now, and I would I would have looked at them and said, you're crazy. But here I am. Um, a lot of hard questions were asked, and a lot of I got a lot of good answers, and ones that I feel comfortable with. And, and to go back to to your point, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I didn't have complete confidence that I'm going to c- continue to keep painting the way I want to paint. Good, yeah, because that's what makes the crusher special. Yeah, is is yeah. you, your yeah, your strokes. Yeah, and, yeah. and to be honest, I, I was watching really hard when you know when Dirty Kanza <coughs> happened. I was I was. Totally, and this was before I even sniffed the fact that Lifetime was even going to be entering the equation for me personally. I just wanted to see what was happening, and I watched their social feeds. I, I mean, I was on that. I was like looking to see like what's going to happen, and everybody was like, "Best one ever." You know, I was waiting to see some exactly see something change, and everybody's like, "No, it's the same event." It's and and I was like, "Wow, okay, (coughs) there you have it." Yeah. Christy, I know you have definitely felt the brunt of this. So how how have you guys dealt with it? Um, I think the kind of the, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, like um, what Burke just said. Yeah, you yeah, guys had an the, awesome 2019. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, from us, there were four of us running that event. Um, Tim, my husband, Jim Cummins, Leland Danes, and myself. Um, and we were uh, beyond tapped out. Um. And last year's Dirty Kanza, we had 11 extra staff hands there to help us pull off the expo and to make everything go. Um, and the message from the top down right now is that um, uh, they are having us run our events and just offering support. Um, do I think it will change? I have no idea, but they haven't proven to me that it will change. 
they said that they've learned, they learned, um, you know, Kimo Seymour said he learned lessons with Leadville. Um, they pulled back in that and, and, and took it back to involving Ken and Mary Lee more and really kind of trying to learn from that lesson. And um, when we, like Burke said, they vetted us as much as we vetted them, um, the bottom line was that they were not interested in Dirty Kanza if the Dirty Kanza team didn't stay on. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, personally, um, my role with Dirty Kanza has been to provide something to my community that was an economic development piece. Um, I love my hometown. It's where I'm from, and it's where I've raised my kids. And um, we've had my kids were the fourth generation to graduate from Emporia High School. Um, so it's me. Dirty Kanza is, you know, it's it's I'm super passionate about it, and. We needed, I needed to secure the future of Dirty Kanza in my mind. And um, <clears throat> Lifetime provided that opportunity for us and has given us the platform to secure that. Um, and I hope, I mean, I'm, I don't have a reason to think that it will change. Um, I guess I'm just like with the general public, if, if it, you know, it could. But that's not been the, I mean, the, uh, of course you guys don't know all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, but they, yeah. you know, they're entrusting Burke and, and Jim and Leland and myself um, to continue to um, do what we do. So that's what I'm going to do, is do what I do. Yeah. Reba, I saw you jotting down some notes. Did you have any thoughts on the homogenization of, of gravel or, or where you see this sort of shift with lifetime coming in? I mean, don't hold back here. <laughs> I know you won't. <laughs> um, well, I, I will. I do. I do have to say, everybody has built their event here from ground up, Correct. blood, sweat, and tears. Um, individual, independent business owners. That's and a really good I point really, to emphasize. <clears throat> I really respect that. And you know, it's the American dream to like build something from nothing and then have a corporate entity come in, pay you a bunch of money, and you know, be rewarded for all of the fruits of your labor. So I can't critique you know, anyone who has sold their business because that they worked hard and they made something of value that someone else saw value in and they bought it. Um, and I hope that, you know, I commend Lifetime for keeping on the 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 founders of these events because it, it is critical. I was at Leadville over the years of before it was owned by Lifetime and after, and it did change. Um Still this is Leadville Mountain Bike Race, Led, folks. Yeah, yeah, Leadville 100, yep. and it's an it's an awesome race. It's still an awesome race, but it changed, um, and it, it didn't. The course didn't change, and you know, but there were there were things that changed, and really, what changed to me in spanning that are the types of people that that showed up. Um, it was more indoor people. It was you know just less core mountain bike. It was less of the people that we are talking about that come to our events that are like the regular people. Um, and it, it, it felt it felt different. And, you know, Christy said they learned from that experience, which is great. We all learn from our mistakes. Um, but there is part of me that's like, you know, how many companies have we seen? Again, history, you know, is our teacher. And how many corporations have we seen that have been bought, or small businesses been bought by a corporation it's very hard to keep the personality of the founder. And 
so yes, like Burke, I'm watching like, God, I hope these amazing races keep their core because that's what's really yeah. important. Um, and I don't know. My other big concern is that the small independent owner, the, the independent bike shop, um, is no longer going to have, you know, the paint brushes, paintbrushes to paint on that canvas. How will somebody like me compete in that world? Um, Meaning you, know, you, Rebecca's Private Idaho, yeah, with these other events. Yeah, how does a small yes. independently owned event without corporate dollars behind, how do those cool events actually survive? And, you know, that's a real concern. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I'll continue to work my ass off, but it's also, as Burke knows, it's it's a labor of love. And will will it become a point where, you know, you're just no longer in the game because you can't compete? And that's my worry. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just being real straight No, here. please. That's what this gravel, <laughs> yeah. gravel discussion is about. Pete, you want to chime in? Yeah, I just, you know, I think... It's obvious. I mean, these are all the original founders of their respective events. Correct. And it's like when you create an event, just as, and even with my little Stetness Pater ride, it's all like, it's an extension of you and it's your passion and it's your name on it. And you can see that style in all these events. You know, Burks is high altitude, backcountry Utah climbing. That's what Burke did and loves. You know, Rebecca's is insane backcountry mountain biking in Idaho. You know, Steamboat is ridiculous, like the kind of the, you know, the, the Colorado cowboy vibe and the ski town and, and those dirt roads there, I've ridden them. And, you know, Kansas, the Kansas Flint hospitality, yeah. the Flint Hills. And I haven't done the red dirt yet, but, you know, there's, there's the, I, I'm excited I to experience. To <laughs> <laughs> but no, and, and even mine, you know, like every little thing, you know, you want it to be curated and, it's, it's e- even the little touches, you know, and, and, and what, what is your passion and what do you love about riding a bike and the community around it? And like, I can tell you just like hanging out this week with these guys, it's, they care too much to sell out. So it's, I wouldn't call it that. I See mean, that? Th- this yeah. is the, the media in the room. This is where you have the power to um, yeah. give props to small events that are really core and that are awesome. And you go and you, you, you know, it's easy to talk about the Olympics when you're covering sports. It's easy to talk about the Tour de France. But are you talking about, you know, the other great things out there? And there is power in participating with a little guy or the independent owner. or And it's it's not to say that, Dirty Kansas is not amazing. Dirty Kansas is on the map, on the radar. You yeah. know, they don't need the media anymore. And if we do want to grow and include and get more people into the events, Dirty Kansas is full. So we need the grassroots. We need the small independent events. And that is where the power of the media has the opportunity to talk about it, or us as pros or us as other riders and taking part in each other's events. Because, yeah, DK's full. Steamboat's full. You're full. And so there are a lot of other gravel events. That calendar is really full with races that are not full. I'm going to use that as a segue since you pointed out that there's a number of media in this room. To the podcast listeners, you have no idea. We have an audience circling us here at this gravel roundtable with a whole bunch of heavy hitters in the media scene. So media, do you guys have any questions that you would like to fire at the panel? I've been doing all the talking tonight. Um, would anybody like to just, you could come saddle up next to me here, fire your question off. 
um, to this group because we're getting up close to two hours uh, of chit-chatting. So um, I'd like to open up to any folks here who might have a question. Okay, Ben Delaney is coming down. This is Ben Delaney from Velo News, The Grind. Hi, gang. Hi. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. I hear that you don't want to standardize, and I get that. I appreciate that as a participant. Um, but I'm just curious for your thoughts on feed zone etiquette or how that could be smoothed out for some front-of-the-pack folks, uh, for the, the Pete's and the Rebecca's and the, the for a lot of you folks, frankly, and that um, how can that be pulled off in a fun, safe way, or do you feel that it's fine as is? Yeah, I mean, our our approach to this is Amy Charity. Yeah, was to to try to make it equal to everybody. So we had um, some pros come in and say, or some pros managers say, my my person <laughs> always gets X. How are we going to accomplish that? And we said, well, your person has two choices: they can carry X, or they can provide fifteen hundred of X to everyone else out there. So. Um, yes. That's such a school teacher response. I like that. You got a piece of gum for everyone in the room? You can do it. Yeah. Everyone got a piece of gum. That's right. So um, that was our response. We want it to be fair. And anyone can make the choice of I'm never stopping. I'm carrying a camelback and I am self-sufficient. Or um, that's it. Or you have an aid station that is the same for everyone. So we wanted literally every single person in that race. We don't care if you're going to win it or you're going to finish right at the cutoff. We want you to have an equal choice in what you do. And that was our way to make it fair. In fact, we didn't do call-ups, and that was a long discussion. And again, we kept coming back to let's make this fair for absolutely everybody. Um, and so you lined up wherever you wanted to line up. And um, that, that's been our approach. If you need help, if you have issues out on the course, if um, the support is near you, great. And if they're not, then you're waiting like everyone else. So, our so no hand-ups at the aid station. Is yeah. that what you're saying? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. No, okay. yeah, no hand-ups. In yeah. fact, we started with, um, we were we had top 100 people are getting hand-ups, and then we're like, what if you're 101st and you're in a pack? Like, that is so unfair. And our whole thing was, how do we make this fair? And so um, everyone gets off their bike and everyone fills their own bottle. And we just wanted to. And I would have to say that you guys had so many coolers lined up that it so is so that it was so quick to get through there, and you had really helpful aid folks. So, like any pro that complains that they like lost time there, they need to work on their aid station game, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even those with the Wikipedia page. Yes. Sorry. So, so we're doing. Poor guy. I hope yeah. he's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think we've been vague enough. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Bobby, we're, we're doing told. something for the very first time. So we've offered it a we've offered a drop bag service that I've been super proud that we've offered because a lot of other events either did it for a short time or maybe never ever did it. So we and and let me tell you right now from a logistical standpoint that the drop bag service has been absolutely horrifying and cost us a ton of time and a ton of money. And it's not about us. It's not about that. It's not about the money, but it is about the experience of the participant. So every time we have a conversation, I'm. I bring back everything we talk about to the participant. They are a consumer. They're a cu- they're a customer, and and they are. We only exist in what we do because they are coming and they care. So I want their experience to be phenomenal. 
So with Scratch Labs, we're going to offer water at the 50 mile, the 100 mile race and nutrition, limited nutrition for the very first time. And honestly, Amy, it's because we were at SVT and we saw what you did and it was so cool. It was, it was very cool. So it's a replacement for our drop bag service. So if you didn't, because we knew we had people coming from all over the country yeah. that didn't have sport crews. So we offered them, you bring the drop bag, it's here. You get a little number plate that mirrors your number. We have it all marked out. You come up, you get your bag, you take care of it, you leave. So now we're going to do the same thing. You fill your own bottle, you get your own food. Or if, like Dirty Kanza, you have a team that is the funnest thing ever. So I would, fun. I would rather be on a support crew almost than ride Dirty Kanza. <laughs> almost. It's so much fun. You get to be a part of, of the most critical moments to help someone realize their goal of finishing. You've uplifted my spirit many times. Yes. <laughs> my service manager, Austin Turner, has yeah. been Yuri Oswald's yeah, totally. and, and yeah. was his was his pit man in 2015 when Yuri won Dirty Kanza, and we True. partied did, so did hard when we found True. out he won. Huh? Did you only win it once? Only once. Dan Hughes is the four-time winner. Let's get this out. Let's get that out there. Yeah. Good job, so, Yuri. So yeah. we're going to offer both. We're going to have – you can come in. You can set up your tent. Um, wherever our halfway point may be, we change our course every two years, and we work with a new host town every two years. Um, we're about – I think we're about to max out on the towns that we have close enough to us for 100 miles. But, yeah, we'll have both. So no drop back service this year, um, full on neutral yeah. scratch spot. And if you have a, a crew and a team, you, you can find a 10 by 10 space or whatever. Queenie, I, I mean, I know you're been, out there actually I, on course handing out bottles yourself yeah, to the and pros. I, ben, your question was really yeah. good and it's a really important issue. And we've typically done, and we're going to change for this year, we've typically done the first 50 riders get a hand up at, to the best of our ability, the best of our volunteers. I've done hand ups myself. I've dropped them and felt terrible. Um, Dude, and, you know, I have this video oh, of you just like spinning with bottles and like hitting people right left. Totally. I, just yeah. around. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun, but um, it, it takes, like I said, it takes a, a road, a roadie expectation into yep. a, right. a gravel, dirt, off road event. And so we're going to eliminate that this year as oh, well. Okay. And take, so. basically, take, um, you know, again, take a, you know, a, a book from mountain bike stage racing, you stop and you fill your yep. bottle. Yep. And if everyone has to do it, it's fair. And there's enough coolers. Um, if I add the 125 mile baked potato route, which I'm working on, there will not be an aid station for probably 50 miles. And that is, again, my personality of like, be responsible, wear a hydration pack, bring, um, you know, bring a flat tire changing stuff don't expect a SRAM vehicle to be there and if people don't like that style they they don't have to participate you know but that is more where that is taking it more towards the off-road more towards the adventure riding than taking a playbook from road and bringing it over to gravel so I really like your question because that has been one of the biggest things that's been a hassle in our events is people coming with the expectation of a hand up and it's like, okay, we'll just get rid of it. So, yeah, good yeah. job. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, Yuri. <laughs> I'm not going to hand you a bottle this year. <laughs> I'm not coming then. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, we were starting to see the dynamics of gravel, like, change even before, you know, World Tour riders came in. I think Vela News wrote a piece a few years back about a particular team that was bringing in some road tactics, you know. So, I mean, it's not... 
I mean, we've, we've seen this subtle shift beginning a few years ago. It wasn't just world tour guys. So no one can, um, you know, hashtag that Pete's ruined gravel. Cause it started, you know, just the mentality was starting to change already. People were wanting to race it more. Well, an know? event director has the ability to change and alter their course and alter their rules to, keep the event pure. Yeah. You know, I added yes. a five mile El Diablito section to, uh, the, the, to private Idaho this year to the hundred mile course, the baked potato. And it was quite rough. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was one, you got a beautiful mountain view view of, um, you know, devil's bedstead and you got off the beaten path and it broke up the pack. And so for me, it actually threw in this little twist that, I was really excited about, and so the the race organizer has the ability to alter the course to kind of make things you know break apart. Our our ride, Private Idaho, starts with a twelve hundred or twelve hundred foot um, climb, and that really breaks apart the peloton yeah. really fast. Yeah. And people like Burke are stoked on that part of the ride. Hell yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the key is in the course design, you know, and yeah. I know that there's Belgian Waffle Ride and a lot of other rides that they, and, you know, even Levi's Grand Funnel, that you have the choice to take, like, that dirt section. And so that's where I think it's exciting, and I think it's important for race directors to keep these little, like, surprises and, you know, yes. unique course design because that is really the flavor of not being in a giant peloton of a 1,000 people just following a wheel and looking at somebody's butt crack. You know, that's not what we're out riding bikes for, you know. I mean, sorry, I did say that. But you're, you you want to look at the view, not somebody's yes. butt. And, <laughs> but the course... Well, I mean, maybe, maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It depends. It depends on who it is. But the course can really dictate that. I was right behind Yuri today, and yeah. it was very nice. <laughs> Bert, Bert, Bert. Yeah. That's wanna, all I meant. I was just kidding. Did you want to jump in on this one, Bert? This is Burke Swindlehurst. R- remind me... That- <laughs> well, it, 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 it's 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 oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Getting back to the aid station thing. So, yes. this is one of those things where I look at like hindsight being twenty twenty kind of thing. And you know, my background was road racing, and you raised your hand. Someone came up, gave you stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. when I when I my vision for Crusher was I wanted to bring the pro experience to everybody. Whether, like, from the very first person that comes through the aid station to the very last person, which was a great idea when I started my event thinking, you know, oh, there's maybe going to be 30 or 40 people that show up. Well, now it's like I'm having to think, like, well, geez, I'm, at this point, I'm close to almost 3,000 water bottles that we give out on course every day to make sure that every single person gets the same experience from start to finish. And that's. They nail it, though. And, and the, Little kids running with Coke oh, cans. And so here's, here's the dilemma, right? Yes. Like, I want to pull back from that and go back to what these guys are talking about. Like, in hindsight, yeah, I want self-serve. Stop, do your thing, whatever. But my volunteers, they, are, they love this they, experience yeah. so much. It means so much to them that if I told them, like, hey, we, we're not doing this anymore, people, I would literally have people crying. <laughs> Do you I, want to send your volunteers to my event? <laughs> <laughs> I've, actually, I'll take some. I've actually floated this idea to volunteers, and I've seen the tears well up in their oh. eyes, the thought that they weren't going to be able to have that interaction with the riders. So I, I have, as we look, and you know, if we do and bring more people to the Crusher, if there's the appetite for it, yeah. I've got some hard decisions in front of me because suddenly like going from 3,000 bottles to, say, 5,000 bottles, and then you bring in the whole, you know, 
the whole aspect of just like the environment, like 3,000 water bottles, you know, what do you do with those? Well, we clean them, you know, we take them all, we sanitize them, we run them through industrial, we recycle them, we reuse them every year, but it's still 3,000 plastic water bottles. I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that like keeps me up at night. Yes. Yeah. I feel like we need a moment of this silence for all the, the swan years out there because they're yeah. going to be out of a job soon. Yeah. <laughs> they can start they can riding still massage. Bikes. They can still massage. Yeah. I do laundry. I like massages a yeah. lot. Okay. <laughs> you, must, yeah. you guys must have other questions. Um, yeah, does anybody other, any other media have questions? Yeah. Come on up. This is Josh Patterson. Hi. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. <laughs> yeah, so Josh Patterson, Road Bike Review, longtime gravel racer. I think we can sum up the entire discussion tonight about it's about the growing pains of gravel. Mm. Yes. And what we haven't touched on yet is the same specter that's haunted every other discipline of cycling, and that's doping. Mm. So I'd like to hear from every promoter here how they're addressing that or how they plan to in the future as your events grow. Bobby, you want to go first? You know, I'll Bobby, shut down. I don't see you jumping up to the mic now, Bobby. Oh, oh. Wait, are we talking about are we talking about smoking weed on course or? Because that's totally okay with me. What? No. <laughs> I don't think it's that dopey. Right? You know, I'm. I'll. I'll start. I mean, I'm. I'm still tested, and I actually had that email conversation with Usada this as soon as the calendar year turned and I said like hey like you know I've been in the testing pool you guys show up to my house at 5 a.m like 10 15 times a year and I, oh yeah I'm so they could show up right now if they want us they know I'm here anyway um <laughs> and, wow. but it was did you, did you let us know that they know you're here like we should <laughs> you're gonna like do you give an anonymous cool. call in or something <laughs> <laughs> we had a wild night last night but <laughs> Um, no, but it was, you know, it was just like, you know, I, I'm very much for clean sport. And again, that's not the reason that people are coming to gravel. And I mean, it, yeah, it's going to get more competitive. So you guys got to think about that. However, um, I just said like, look, like this is, you know, it's, it's currently unsanctioned. It's not an Olympic sport. And, um, you know, so do you want to continue to test me for, um, and it, honestly, it's a waste of money and finances, possibly. And they said, yeah, I mean, technically, you know, it's, you know, you're still in the grand UCI pool. You've been in the system for a while and, and we're still interested. So, I mean, yeah, I'm still giving my whereabouts every day, all season for all these events. I mean, they're going to know I'm staying at the Holiday Inn in Stillwater in March. So, so I, I've never, I've never, I've never really, I've never followed pro, <coughs> pro cycling. I am. Definitely not a pro cyclist. I have never won a race. So my perspective is, is skewed. And Josh, I really appreciate, I, I appreciate you bringing this to the table, man, because it is something as responsible event promoters that say that we want to provide this experience for every single person. It is something that we have to, to deal with. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say this and, and not to put pressure on, but I mean, Christy Moan has, has been a mentor in my life for quite a while. And so we've taken a ton of, of things from the DK playbook. And I think that we will continue to watch and those that, that are working on things a, a bit more than our tiny crew that is also working at the bike shop full time, that we're going to try and, and listen. 
and we're going to try and listen and, and not be really, really stuck in our own ways. But I am afraid also of subjecting my 99%, my, my finishers and not my racers, to something that does not apply to them in any sort of way whatsoever. That they are not there for the podium, they are not there for, for racing whatsoever, and to me that is what makes gravel so incredible. And yes, this is a growing pain, and we have to figure it out. And Christy mentioned it earlier too, like we're totally considering a lottery because we had 5,000 people on bikereg.com the second we opened for 1,500 spots in the 100 mile, which we've let in quite a few more, but we are dealing with growing pains, and so we're thinking about a lottery too. So with that what what is that what does that mean what does it look like how do we facilitate it and how do we pay respect to those that have been a part of our event from the beginning so I don't know I don't want to subject I don't want to subject to 99% to something that doesn't make sense but I understand that people will win at all costs and people don't care what certain drugs and certain things do to their body but I want to have that conversation like what does doping do to you when you're 70 years old how do you feel like what does it actually do to the insides of your body if you go to McDonald's every single day, what does it do to you? Like putting shit in your body that's not of natural substance will do something to you. And I want to have that conversation. And so education, I think, is, is huge. And if we can start exposing some things that have happened to people, then maybe we could make some fundamental change in how people are making decisions before they come to these bike races. And I know that that's a, maybe a huge battle to fight and maybe not one I'm prepared to fight. Obviously, I'm not prepared to fight it. But I'll, I'm going to watch what other people do, what other people do with their races and with their rules and their regulations, and then I'm going to do suit what I think makes sense for us. Rebecca Rush, did you want to jump in on this? Sorry, you see me writing. A lot no, 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 I do. I'm, I'm watching cues, subtle, subtle body cues here. Um, I think we have a responsibility to um, to take the lead, and especially you know, you know, grandfather events like Dirty Kanza. And I'll tell you again, I, not to keep using the same thing, but you, you see it in mountain biking. You saw it at Leadville. You see it at Whiskey 50 where there's big cash prizes. You see, you know, European pros coming over, winning those races, and there's no drug testing. Um, and I don't know that those people were doping or not because there never was any testing. Leadville never had any testing despite – you know, a lot of publicity and a lot of, and you may say, oh, there's no prize money, so it doesn't matter. There's a ton of exposure and sponsorships that are gained, and Dirty Cans as well. There is, there is, there are careers that are launched based on the media exposure from those big races, and I, I believe those races have a responsibility to, to do a small. I know it's really expensive. But That's to do a small, it, it is, but okay, yeah. I'm just going to say it. Dirty Kansas is corporately owned. Yep. They are setting the bar for everyone right now. And so I don't know, but what would it be to the top male, top female, and two random people? It's a token. It's like not everybody. It's not every category. But what would that look like to just send the message, yeah. just say, hey, this is not okay here. You know, we want everyone to come and play. And, of course, you don't want to put the 99% into a doping room and have to do a P test and all that. But could you just do the top one and two in a random so that there is this, this hint of like, uh, 
that's not okay here. Um, and I agree with Bobby that there's education and you can talk about it, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah. Nobody's saying anything. And it's launching careers. And people are moving over from road. They're moving over from mountain biking. And you saw it in endurance mountain biking as well. So I do believe these events that, that do have corporate dollars and corporate money behind them, they can lead the way. And, you know, eventually, hopefully, my event will get there and, and be that way as well. Um, but it's, it's us who are shaping you know, who comes to the party, who comes to the table. And if we don't want those those people to come, then we have to send that message. <clears throat> I will say for USA Cycling, I will give them props. They handle our um, event insurance, and they scrub our list for us. And they've actually found people who were, I wouldn't have known the names, who were serving doping offenses, and they alerted us, and they called that person and said, okay, you're not welcome. You know, this event is a USAC event. You you can't come. And so they that has been a, a big benefit for us, and that is why we use their health insurance or, or their Rider insurance. private event insurance because they scrub that list for us. Could we? Could, is there a way that we could have them scrub lists without using their insurance? I don't know, and that's a, a USA cycling question, but to me that was a big value, and there's been a couple people who I wouldn't have known their names. There's no way I can look at that many people and know – who random masters doper, you know, is serving masters dudes. Yep. Well, you know, <laughs> it is. No, it is. <laughs> yeah. But that is that was a big benefit for me, and there's been a couple of times where I was like, What? I never would have known. But that we called out that person and they didn't come. Yeah. And it was a message of like, No, you're not welcome here until you've served, you know, your suspension or anyone serving a lifetime ban, you know, isn't coming to private Idaho. Yeah. 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 That's I think the same with us. And, and Rebecca's right. I mean, it's a conversation that, that definitely has to happen. Um, and it's not, it, you know, it, it's, I guess it's, you know, it's still the elephant in the room because nothing's been decided. But I don't Correct. think that that's, you know, I, I don't, I think that the direction is like, you know, what does that look like? How do we, how do we, you know, piece this together in something that makes sense? As an elite yeah. athlete, I appreciate when there's drug testing because I'm clean. And yeah. I, I don't mind the hassle and I like it. And it's like, great. You know, yeah, at least exactly. I'm on an equal playing field here. And we talk about being fair. That is the number one thing to be fair as these events. Is well, these especially events for grow. the elites. I mean, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. We, we, I think Bobby and I come from the background that we get a little bit stuck in the fact that neither of us, like, we're, we're there for the experience. Um, but there's other people that are there. And I understand, like, Dirty Kansas has definitely changed. It's a, it's a, it's a place that launches people's careers at this point, and it changes – who they are in, in, in the world of cycling. And so there is a responsibility there. Um, I, I, you know, am, can be definitely naive to that because of my background. And I think I'm, you know, a lot of people there are just a freaking ride 200 miles and see if they can finish or they're trying to beat the sun or beat midnight or, you know, they don't want to have to be part of the breakfast club again, you know, all, like, whatever. It's but a cool patch, though. <laughs> it is a cool patch. It's the best patch. I Collect think. all three. Um, You're right, though, Chrissy. It is, it's, it's naive not to think about it because yeah, those no, people I are coming, and just it's cheating. And as you would call out, you know, the guy a few years ago who got aid on, aid the, on horse, the horse, yeah. it's the same thing. It's just it's not as visible. Um, and so it does have to be – cheating has to be called out. Yeah. And, you know, we're sadly, we're, we're going there where – you know, and it can be small, it can be a small random sample, but just the amount, the threat of it, you know, is, sends a big message. Thanks for asking that question. Is there, is there any other media or folks in, in the, the peanut gallery here that want to ask something? Because we've been chatting for almost two, two plus hours. 
Yeah, come on, introduce yourself and ask your question. It smells like tacos. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Daniel Hughes. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. So, you, uh, Rebecca, you're just talking about USA Cycling, sort of behind the scenes, providing your event insurance. Um, you, I've been to one of the events here, Dirty Cans. I'm going to Steamboat this summer. I'm looking forward to that. How do you stop, like USA Cycling or British Cycling or any cycling body, um, from kind of eventually sort of wanting to stamp their their sort of thing on your event? Because as road cycling, I think is going to dwindle. Their memberships are going to decline. They're going to want to have a piece of your pie. How are you going to protect your events from being so special and the individuality of your events? Yeah, you, you do that by taking a stand. If, yeah. if you see something that you don't feel right about, you just don't go with it. Can you um, do that? You yeah, can. As in, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're fully in control. Yeah. And we're right now and we are in, in – so go ahead, Burke. Sorry. Well, make, make no mistake. There, it's going to happen. But whether it's it's who participates in that, that's going to be what's interesting. Who participates in that? Yes, yes, that's exactly it. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's other people here with opinions about that. But the, yeah, we, we won't do yeah. anything USAC. So that that seems to be the general consensus is that these gravel events, the monuments of gravel, you folks and others. Uh, have been doing just fine for the last 15 years without the support of USAC. And Bobby, you said something interesting earlier, like, hey guys, go focus on cross, go focus on... Let's make it better. Let's make that better. Let's elevate cycling as a whole. We've we've got the gravel side of things covered. covered. Yeah. So we live in a very different time. We are... And I'm not saying that, that, that promoters 10, 15, 20 years ago weren't as smart as us or didn't have it figured out or any of that, but we live in a different time of communication. We are instantly connected through social media, through email, through websites, through phone conversations, face-to-face, you know, oration, oral conversation, relationship building. We are, I would like to say, very, very competent human beings. We know exactly what we have and we know exactly why it is what it is. And it's about experience. The future, the past, the present, everything, all of it is about experience, whether it's for the spectator or for the participant at hand. And I said that earlier. So USA Cycling, the UCI, WADA, like everybody, we are not dealing with something exactly that has happened before because we're in constant contact. Christy Moan and I, we, we talk about things all the time. You know, I, I can reach out to any of these people, I think, now on this panel and and shoot ideas across the table. I can market myself insanely well from my couch in my underwear, listening to jazz and drinking whiskey if I want at any moment in time and raise the awareness of my event from X to, to Z. I love that visual picture. <laughs> it's, very, it's not that attractive, I promise. But anyway, we, we're in a completely different time of how we communicate as human beings. And what we're, what we're doing and how we're impacting people's every single everyday lives through how they identify themselves as being who they are through the events that they participate in is not the same as it was before. We don't need points. We don't need a static list that says, I rank here because they just have a photo on a couch in the middle of nowhere that says, I did that event and this was the proof that I was there and this is how it happened. You mean you don't need power gravel rankings? And the gravel rankings thing is just, they just made it up. 
It's they made it up. They didn't ask our permission. I was out when you weren't on it. <laughs> I'm just poking the bear on that one, and like I'm not mad about it, yeah, but yeah, like, no, but no, I wasn't I'm a part. Of, I, I'm yeah. not mad, but I wasn't a part of that conversation. Yeah. Was anyone else privy to the conversation before yeah, it came no. out? Yeah, no one at this table had any input on those gravel power yeah. rankings. Yeah, so that, I, don't, I mean, I'm I think, sorry, I don't want to have input in the gravel, exactly. and neither do yeah. I. Yeah, no. And so like, I think that gets to the larger question: Do we need sanctioning? Do we need like? some like point series no. that unifies all these gravel events because that's just some of the questions coming in too Burke? yeah so i'm i would say this is probably eight i'm guessing eight years ago i was contacted by and i'm blanking on his name there was somebody who had come up with a series called the uh this was before gravel was a word okay of course <laughs> so this was probably like 2012 i'm guessing no, bike riding. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Somebody contacted me and said, hey, we've got this American Ultra Cross calendar. Yeah, and and there were people, you know, there were people in on this. We had, like, a, a phone conference and, and talked about creating a series, essentially, a, you know, what we call a gravel series now. And we're like, well, okay, let's talk about this. And after several phone calls, it became very clear that, a series was not going to happen for anybody because we all had our own ideas of how we wanted to do things, which is exactly what makes this so cool, yes, right? Yes, dude, yes. And we don't have to conform to anything. And so I, the, the idea of a series for me is, yeah, I'm sure it's going to, again, it, this is something that's going to happen. There will be a gravel series, or, you know, whatever. But we all get to have a say in, in whether we want to participate in that or not. And, and maybe there's going to come a point where it actually makes sense. But... I think where we're at right now, I think just the individual, I, I don't know, I mean, it's, I guess I always go back and defer to music. It's like, okay, well, yeah, Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza was really cool, like getting all these different bands together doing their own thing or whatever. That was awesome. Is that going to happen with, with gravel cycling? You know, that would be, yeah, who knows? But at this point, I don't see it happening because we all have our own ideas on how we want to do things, and there would have to be a meeting in the middle somewhere and I don't think any of us want to compromise on certain things because we all like what we've got going, and, and rightly so. I think we've all got really cool stuff going. You all do. I mean, one of the questions <laughs> to me on social media was, you know, is there going to become like this Kona of gravel, right? Like this world championship or whatever. Um, but I don't think – I get the sense that I don't think we're going that direction, that you guys – don't want to. I mean, gravel, well, gravel, gravel, gravel world. Yeah, gravel world. Thank you, yeah. Rebecca. Thank you, Greg. And those guys, gravel world yep. for sure. Yeah, Jay. Cornbread. Yeah, it's wild. 150 yeah. miles of of cornfields. It's yeah, super wild. But yeah, I don't. I just I don't see gravel heading into any sort of like point series type structure um, in the in the near future. I think that's some people's fear, right? With lifetime coming in, that there will be qualifiers that maybe affect how people get into events. Um, but we'll just have to see how, how that plays out. Um, if there aren't any more media questions or anything like that, I think I'm going to wind it down. We've been talking for like two and a half hours, <laughs> and it has been really the highlight of my week here at Gravel, Gravel Camp, you know, Bluebird Gravel Camp, hanging out with you guys, riding with you, getting to um, chat about gravel, something we're all really passionate about. Um, and yeah, just I can't get over like I'm my fanboy moment. Look at all these promoters here, you guys. This is amazing. I mean, you guys truly have taken your passion and turned it into uh, a you know a job and something that's changing people's lives and have helped shape the future and the direction of gravel. So keep doing it because I like riding my bike. 
So let's keep doing this thing. Um, and thanks to Chris Lyman and his crew for putting this all together and everybody showing up, all the media. This has been really awesome night to, to have this gravel roundtable chat. So I think we'll wrap it up there for the 2020 gravel camp. Great job, Yuri. Yeah, thank you. Yuri. 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 Yuri.